0: Crimson Tower Studios.
1: Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts lance and tonight i'm not only joined by my regular and rambunctious co-host steve and matt we're also joined by the esteemed t.s lucart writer extraordinaire from cubicle 7 welcome t.s and thank you so much for joining us tonight oh i'm so happy to be here awesome awesome we're so happy to have you here
0: oh yeah for sure so, TS, we, we obviously know who you are, but uh, it's possible that some of our listeners don't. Uh, would you take a second and kind of explain who you are in the gaming world and what you do?
2: Sure. I am a ray of sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am a ray of sunshine compared to most game designers because they're all gloomy, depressive people. It's absolutely <laughs> true. It lends itself to introverts.
0: It's perfect for Warhammer, right? (laughs)
2: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It lends itself to introverts that live in their little caves. Uh, My name is TS Lucart. I have been a professional game designer for 26 years and a gamer for 42 as of this year. Nice. Um, (laughs) I have worked on many, many different titles over the years. Warhammer 40K, the first RPG, uh, Dark Heresy. I worked on D&D. I did a, a favor during the 3-5 era that people love called Skull and Bones for Green Ronin. I've done a bunch for them over the years. But most importantly, from most folks' point of view these days, I'm one of the leads for I've done a number of things for the One Ring for Cubicle 7. And I was one of the designers of Adventures in Middle Earth, which is the 5E version of the One Ring. And more salient to this podcast, (laughs) I was one of the designers of the second edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. I was the lead designer of the Old World Bestiary, which is still regarded as the number one monster book ever written. If you go by uh, the standards of RPG Net and a couple of the other big ones. And I am one of the writers and one of the designers of the fourth edition, the new Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. So, strangely enough, both Andy Law and myself have come back for a new edition.
3: That's me. That's wonderful. Well, TS, before we move on with the rest of the show, (laughs) we definitely want to know. It's uh, we even had a vote about this, and we know it's you know from from your position, it's a dangerous question. Uh, Did you grow up calling Warhammer Wolfrup or WFRP? Well, you know, if you have friends that like to go
2: in the sea, and they have equipment. When you look at your friends, do you say, "Hey, are you taking your scuba no. gear out in the ocean?" Uh-huh. No, it's Wolfrup. Mm. It has always been Wolfrup. I feel
0: shamed.
3: <laughs> yeah. I'm vote- going to go into the corner now and shed a tear. <laughs> the
0: the votes have been cast. It is definitely there. Wolfrup is leading this battle by about a million votes. So. Yeah. Well,
2: under- Understand too, if you go back into the history, even like, you know, if you, you guys talk to Graham Davis or James Wallace, right? Yeah. Like, they'll tell you, no, it's Wolfrup. Like, James yeah. is in very polished accent. Of course it's Wolfrup. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not, it's just a thing. Now, mind you, how you spell Wolfrup, and that is wide open to interpretation. Ah, sure. <laughs> <We don't, right. laughs> I've seen dozens of different, like, how Wolfrup is supposed to, you know, like, how you write it out. But, yeah, it's pretty much Wolfram well I've heard of I, I yes, obviously, I've heard of a few people spell it out, but seriously, you just you don't spell out stuff like that, just like you know nobody says n a t o you say NATO, yeah, You're like you know I guess th- it's th- odd that I would say that because my name is t
0: s and yes
2: <laughs> 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 nobody calls me mecus you know so, yeah, so we there was thought- actually
0: an interesting video I watched a while ago. It was Penn and Teller actually talking about the difference between. Initialism and acronyms that ah. spoke exactly to the. Uh, they even referenced scuba yeah. in that that discussion. So yeah,
2: to this point, yeah, that's well, you know, it's it's one of those like they've gone over time, right? Like foo bar and all these interesting things yeah. that yeah. came from yep. you know, just turn it into that. Anyway, moving on. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Excellent. <Spend laughs> so another hour just talking about this. Right. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah. Not very grim or perilous. You know. Right. <laughs>
1: All right. Before we get uh, further along here, uh, people often ask us, uh, what kind of gaming have you been up to? So uh, let's kind of go through. Uh, Steve, you want to get us started? What what have you been up to lately, gaming-wise?
3: Well, you know, um, gaming-wise, not too much. I've been painting some 40K miniatures, Imperial Guard, Uh, jumped into Far Cry 5 a little bit. But, you know, this this month's been a blur. not too much game has happened. You know, my wife is maybe <laughs> two weeks away from delivering our baby. Yeah, it's so, exciting, So, yeah. Yes. Between yeah, totally. doctor's appointments, prepping, what we call nesting. Um, there wasn't <laughs> much <laughs> extra time. Yeah. But uh, overall, it's a very exciting time. Just sure. it wasn't the gaming month that I always like. Yeah. Yeah, I've
1: not been able to get a ton in, uh, except I have been able to get some Warfare up in, uh, which, you know, you'll get to hear later on uh, as we <laughs> release some additional episodes. Uh, played some starter set, uh, continued on with our, our actual play. So that's about it that I've been doing
0: gaming-wise. And for me, the last couple of weeks, and Lance, you mentioned this in the, the last episode, that uh, I've been deep within Nurgle's embrace with a, a nasty bout of pneumonia. So I haven't been in playing nearly as much as I normally do, but... Uh, one real solid standout recently was uh, a game called Seventh Continent, which was mm-hmm. uh, it was a Kickstarter probably a year or two ago. But it uh, it's all card based, and in this game, there's like 700 cards. They're all square, and uh, you start out on this island, and all you see is a single square. And each direction, there's like a fog, so you don't know what's there until you travel there. And as you're exploring, you're trying to find different items and people. There's curses you're trying to solve and by the time you're done you'll have explored this huge map uh the designer of the game said that if you put all of the cards out for this map it would be two by three meters large which is ridiculous and we're talking like two and a half inch square cards so we spent five hours doing a small portion of the first like adventure that you do in this game and it was freaking awesome so that sounds really cool. cool yeah a lot of lot of storytelling, a lot of you know. It reminded me of the show Lost, yeah. If, if it took place okay. in like the early 1900s, hmm. Hmm. so like this island has all sorts of stuff. Like we were walking through, and then we found this giant idol and a, a altar that was you know in front of it with a bunch of bones on it. And you can inspect the altar, and uh, it's like okay, draw draw card two fifty seven. So you flip to two fifty seven, and there's three different two fifty seven cards. So you hmm. you pull one of them. So you you know. There's three different options of what could happen at that time. Oh, Anyways, wow. I could go on for a while, but it was, it was uh, an extraordinary experience.
3: And that, that was only
0: like, you know, we maybe did the 15 or 20% of the first curse and there's like seven or eight curses in the box.
2: That is so cool. There've been a lot of advancements in like materials and cardstock. Yeah. And it's allowed new companies. Especially, I know you, we talk about the golden era of gaming, right? right? Between Kickstarter and some of the new stuff, it allows really high quality card stock and really interesting games have sprung up because of that. Stuff that yeah. wouldn't have been feasible even a few years ago has now become feasible. That sounds really interesting.
0: Yeah, and, and literally, it is a box. Like There are maybe, maybe a single like half sheet of cardboard punch stock that's in it. And the, the buddy of mine who has it, he got it off Kickstarter, so it has like miniature upgrades and Kickstarter exclusive stuff. I mean, it's, it is, it is card based 700 cards in this one box. And the, the amount of intrigue that's in there is unlike anything I've played before. I've talked about Gloomhaven before, which was great too, but this is a lot different and I fall in love with it for sure.
2: I think Gloomhaven is like a sneaky backdoor to an actual pen and paper RPG. Oh no like, doubt. <laughs> like you play Gloomhaven no and, and the people at the table that have played actual RPG start looking around going, You guys know this is an RPG, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, we could we could just be playing an RPG. Yes. Yeah.
0: Was... You are not wrong. You are not yeah, wrong at all. Exactly. It's so similar to, to Warhammer to D D or any fantasy. Yeah, it's just yeah okay
2: if you want to drop that much for that okay right.
0: well nowadays you know people people have to have miniatures That's oh, like big thing right. that a game's got to have if it's going to be successful
1: i don't know if you can say that ts weren't you tweeting about that 500 dollars kickstarter rpg bundle you were picking up
2: which one I'm which one
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> i don't know maybe i get to write it off on my taxes it's hey, all reason. <laughs>
4: uh,
2: oh nice you know? um yeah i'm bad i'm a super backer on kickstarter i've gotten yeah. a lot of stuff actually this year it's i really do have to i'm tamping down because we're paying off bills so i i'm keeping my my hobby in control yeah and I, i'm actually pretty good at it when i really clamped down Since i was a fair i fear, for a while so my gaming of late i literally just ran uh old the deer one i just ran night of blood for a group of yeah. uh, warhammer newbies none of them had ever played wolf they they'd all played all of them had played uh mostly 5e all of them had played some kind of role-playing games before but none of them had played warhammer and it went really really well actually it was it was hilarious actually (laughs) to see a a 5e player's reaction to some of this stuff right t worthwhile so
1: (laughs) did uh did anybody
2: die uh, actually, none of them did, but remember when you're doing a one-shot, I actually used the pre-gens from the set we're going to be talking about today. I actually oh, had them okay. pick from the pre-gens for the starter set. That's perfect. But So, of course, you're all starting with technically, it's pretty hard to die in your first outing if you have fate yeah, and all that, right? right? That's true. But right. there was some serious, really serious fights where a couple of them definitely like went to zero. One of them did go to zero wounds, and there's a bunch of stuff. But I'll tell you guys the funniest thing, and then we can roll on so keep in mind, these guys are all, they played 5e, right? right. And I, I know you guys are not big in D&D, but you probably know the principle that like <laughs> D&D, you're always rolling a d20 to hit a yeah. thing, mm-hmm. rolling damage, right? And normally, there's this thing in 5e, you just, you just don't think you can kill anything with a single blow. It's just not the D&D way, right? <laughs> if you're a really high level character and you're fighting like little weedy goblins or something, sure, you could like lay waste to a couple... But it's not a thing once you're dealing with higher-level guys. So in Night of Blood, without too many spoilers, at one point they figured out that one of the, one of the people was not what they seemed. They kind of put two and two together, and they got ready to ambush the guy. And uh, my friend Annette, who's playing Sally, uh, the Solyndra, uh, the noble from the starter set, gets by the door, like poises with the sword ready, and she goes, Okay, I'm going to get him when he comes to the door. And I'm like, Okay. So he walks through the door and she goes, okay, I put my sword through his head. And she's like, what do I roll, you know? And I'm like, he slumps over dead. <laughs> and yeah. he knocked her over with a feather. And she's like, what? I'm like, you're standing in the ambush and you just stuck a sword through his head. Right, <laughs> right. What do you think happens? <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's generally not just something like, survivable.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she was just like mean. completely like, ah, because it's not the 5e way at all. Like you'd still roll. You'd still, you know, they just don't it doesn't work that way. So I, I just thought it was hilarious. They, they were so stunned. They're like, really? Oh yeah, it's,
0: really. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Warhammer. That's how yeah. this works. Yeah, exactly. exactly. The Hammer, world's
2: grim. Let's talk about diseases. <laughs> oh yeah. Well actually the, well, now I will tell you this because it's hilarious. So the dude is I, I, once again, I don't want to give spoilers, but the dude is really large. You, know, you might recall this character. He is very, mm-hmm. very large. I decided that part of how they noticed is they made a successful uh, test, and they saw a wave of fat roll up, not over his back, but over his neck and the top of his head as well. So that nice. kind of gleamed them to the fact that this dude is not what he appears to be. Yeah. When she stuck the sword through his head, I'd actually decided that he didn't actually have bones. That he was oh. actually held into a human shape by his will. So when she stuck the sword to his head, he became a 300 pound puddle of fat.
0: Jeez. <laughs> oh.
2: At her feet.
0: That's <laughs> awesome. gotta, make a, gotta make a clean your boots. Check,
2: your boots. <laughs> See, I think they can test it. not get pinned to the bar. That's great. Anyway. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, Wolfram. That's it. <laughs> yep.
1: That's why we love it. All right. So let's move on to announcements and news. Um, so announcements and news. Uh, this is a part of the show where we keep you up to date on Woofrup and related news. We scour the web for juicy leaks and bits to satiate your Woofrup hunger. And there are a couple of new things that we have to talk about this time. One of them is the maps. The new maps just dropped for the starter set. Yep. Yeah. Yes.
0: There's two double-sided <laughs> maps and they, of course, look great. They're amazing.
3: I want to blow them up and have them like be like two by three foot big.
0: Yeah, actually, I don't know if this was mentioned or not. TSU might be able to tell us. Do you know the what the dimensions of these maps are actually going to end up being in the final starter set?
2: I, you know, I do not know how big they are. And I actually asked and unfortunately didn't get an answer in time for this. I, I wanted to know. I don't know if it's a pullout and it folds out. I don't actually know. Somebody asked a very good Is it like, well, is it a small pullout or is it like a, it's a full, at, a fold out? Like pull a out. quad and fold. T- yeah. yeah. And to tell you guys the truth, I don't know myself yet. Like I know Andy got them just sorted and they, uh, he'd finished them a few days ago and they got their approvals from GW. So the second we got all the approvals in, we uh, popped them into the starter set. Right. So I, but what I did think I would tell your listeners is Hey, if you're like, oh, I didn't get notification or whatnot, what happened is your, Basically, your thing should have updated on the your drive through or uh, RPG Now library, so you can go into the library, click on things that have been updated, and it all should right. show you all the documents connected to that, including you'll see game GM's map and players maps. Uh, yeah. yeah, for well, for starter set. So by all means, go and download them. They're available now. You'll be able to get them, no problem.
1: And those maps, they're so so good. Like yeah, they are. And and if you're even if you're just you're reading the PDF for for the starter set and the guide to ubers right just having that map where like you have all the numbers there it makes a giant difference it just oh yeah it
2: it totally does now because there's so many entries in the (laughs) which we'll get to but there's so many entries starter set it's definitely nice to visually go like well where are these things in relation to each other and it's a lot easier to do that looking at the map and all this you can be like oh okay and you even can do it in reverse right you're like oh i want to see what all is in the artisan corner so you look in the map and you're like tracing the different numbers and going, Oh, okay. So that's this. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's this. Oh, let's see what that is.
0: You know, you know look at up the, the end of the day, entries. if, if these maps do come in like a standard, you know, eight and a half by 11 sheet, it just gives me an excuse to find some wicked looking old magnifying glass with like a bone handle that we can keep
2: at the table <laughs> and pass around. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, oh. exactly. you look at You're like, Hmm. And then uh, we stuck a thing that's pretty much a C seven, We've done this for ages and Andy he joined us, he was way on board. Obviously, there's the players map and the GM's map. And the player's map is distinctly different in the details that it will give you than the GM's map, yeah. right? I was so gonna you can, mention that. That's a huge
1: yeah. deal to me as as a yeah. GM because I, I like it's maps of dungeons and stuff like that, those are great for the GM, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, totally. like if I want to put it players, down and the
0: whole the players get to see all of it, then yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. And even and even this this is actually I think Andy took mercy on you guys because we talk all the time about unreliable narrators. So he took mercy on players (laughs) that the map could be like almost wildly wrong, right? Like neighborhoods would probably be had the correct names, but the details of the neighborhoods could be horribly, horribly wrong. You could just see like these blurbs of stuff that you're like, wait a minute, when you go there, it's wrong. Or you're like, oh, actually, the most common map people are passing out is like a century old. Yeah. right, Right. Honestly. And I guarantee to you, Andy and I have talked about it at least twice. We'll see. But when we do Outdorf, as you oh. might know, Outdorf is an uncertain city. Yes. And I guarantee the Outdoor maps are going to be crip. it'll be like, what? They're like whole sections of the map. They're like, actually, this was impossible to map. Because <laughs> we went there and then the guy like passed out. So <laughs> like we have no idea what this looks like. And that's, yeah. but
1: that's so in character, right? Cause all the magic colleges and exactly, the, oh, like, it's,
2: you have to assume the area around the light college that we're crystal clear that like people can't even keep their head in that area. Right. Like they right. keep walking past it and be turned around how could any cartographer possibly actually figure out what the area looks like? Yeah. It's like people that look at it, just like report wildly different things. Kind of looks like this. It's, it's like, like the, the
0: area 51 of work. <laughs>
2: yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah people video. are just like, I don't know. And I... then of course there's whole groups that are like, there are no magic colleges. It's all a big lie. Right.
1: right. But I always thought about it as like, you have the, here there be dragons, except it's right in the smack dab middle of the city.
2: Like, <laughs> Yeah,
1: exactly. Nobody, exactly. <laughs> nobody can get there. We don't know what's there.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, we just actually we just don't go there. It's a big city. There's other places to go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just don't go there. Right. Awesome.
1: Some other news that we got going on too is Cubicle Seven recently announced Origins and Gen Con. They put out a call for GMs uh, to run, and they're doing some different stuff. And actually, TS, you were talking a little bit about this before the show. Would you like to clue us into some of the cool stuff that
2: that uh, sure. Cubicle Seven's we- got going on? we've always tried to like support folks that step up to try to run games for us. We really appreciate it. And we've actually, we have a lot of uh, really well-regarded GMs because every year players come back to us and say, Oh my gosh, your GM was amazing. Every year. Gen Con begs us to run more events. (laughs) I've known Derek Guter, the uh, event coordinator for Gen Con for a long time. And he's like, you guys, if you open up dozens more uh, events for all your games, we will fill them in an hour. Like, we People are constantly requesting more One Ring. And now this year, obviously, a uh, Warhammer yeah. Fantasy Roleplay, more Adventures of Middle Earth, more Doctor Who, like constantly. So this year, what we've tried to do for our old returning GMs, a new one as well, uh, not only if you run enough events for us, do you get access to you know uh, PDFs. And we now have a lot more bells and whistles and freebies. So you don't just get the GMs. You actually get a uh, Cubicle 7 T-shirt. We're trying to do special stuff for our GMs. We've got pins and branded stuff that you'll get for running stuff for us. And then we're actually even doing a contest that the GMs that get the best feedback over the course of the two cons, we're actually have some uh, awards in mind for them too. Like our our best con GM, the one that got the most praise. So we're trying to make it more fun and basically gives people more stuff for running things for us. Not just like, here's a PDF,
0: thanks. Right,
1: right, (laughs) right. That's awesome. We actually had uh, one game at, at the GM. Yeah. We really it was Chad. Enjoyed I don't
0: remember his last name, but he, he did a yeah. fine job. I like Chad. Yeah. So I awesome.
3: still um, I still remember when we did uh, the Wolfrup one. I still remember I was trying to get into the house, slash in. And I keep on hearing his voice where he's like, No one's here. Go away. Yeah. And
0: <laughs> yeah, I was like, Man, there's something nope. going yes, on I down did. in the basement. We're like, Well, let's just move the refrigerator or the stove in front of it. We won't worry about it. Let's just skip that whole part. Right. And he was like, "You're you're gonna just move the stove in front of it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: We, that might be too spoiler heavy, but we. Well, we, yeah, we could believe yeah, that or whatever. Yeah. yeah, we uh, we completely did not complete the end game of that scenario because we're oh, like, yeah. we know something's going on down there. We want
2: nothing to do with
1: yeah.
0: it. I'm pretty sure <laughs> it, you, you shot Steven the arrow too in that. I did shoot Steve
1: with an <laughs> yeah,
2: arrow. Yeah, I forgot way. about yeah. that. In, uh, in Night of Blood, my friend playing the witch hunter, Elsie, he was like, when they figured out the temple down below, he's just like, let's kick oil barrels down there and set it on fire. Oh, that's
1: awesome. <laughs> that sounds and like
2: something we would reason, do. Yeah, right. And he was like, if there's actually hostages down there, they'll go straight to Sigmar. It'll be fine, right? <laughs> and literally, the only players in all in character is hilarious. The only way they convinced Elsie that this wasn't a good plan is like, what if the temple has another exit? right Uh, it's just like oh Sigmar, you're right (laughs) i guess we have to go and be certain (laughs) Uh. (laughs) but yeah it was fully arguing yep we'll just set it on fire it'll be fine we don't need to go down there (laughs) (laughs) all right
1: that sounds awesome. I, you it's should, very wolf rip. You, you, you <laughs> should have recorded no, that, man. I want to listen to we, that now. Yeah, it was great.
0: So we always no make sure to, to carry lamp oil with us just for really? setting fires, but now I feel like a barrel of
3: you know some <laughs> exactly. sort of petroleum
0: is uh, is a much better idea. I think
3: we need a cart with some barrels. Yeah, I've
0: got a mule and cart. Autocar Auto has a mule and cart, so you we'll go. see. We'll figure something out.
3: So, so
0: T.S., so are you going to be at Gen Con in Origins this year?
2: I am. I will be at both. Uh, manning the booth, a lot of the time, most likely, awesome, awesome, cool. Well, uh, yeah, actually, if all goes well, we have big stuff at yeah, we will definitely be there.
0: Very cool. Yeah, he exciting. says,
2: He says, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Wink, wink,
2: <laughs> yeah, wink, wink, say no more.
1: Excellent. All right, well, let's get on to the uh main topic here. So, uh, in tonight's show, we're actually going to review uh, Warhammer 4th edition starter set. So, bringing TS on the show here was no accident he had some heavy involvement in the starter set and before we start diving into the product and, and going through our review and, and taking a look at the starter set um ts i want to ask you tell us like what parts did you have more involvement in like how how much
2: of your uh, your blood is in this document <laughs> well the interesting thing about most rpg stuff these days like like the indie guys when you see their name on it usually it's just them right like if they're doing a small product or whatnot you Mm -hmm. know 50 60 70 pages it probably is exact the one writer and nobody else and that's because you're small and you're kind of doing it together but the bigger the project it really does help to have several minds to bounce stuff off because no matter how creative you are eventually you're like you're gonna start spinning your wheels without other people to feed into you, right? Right. And especially a project that we went out of our way, and we'll talk about this throughout the podcast, but put so many hooks so much into it. It helps to bring many minds to bear, do that sort of thing. Like the more folks you have to kind of run them against, the better. So officially, I flat out wrote the main adventure in the star set, making the round. I, I wrote that adventure. I did suggestions throughout some of the other stuff. I did a lot of suggestions into the main, and I wrote some of the hooks and pieces here and there. I think what's my actual credit is probably additional writing, I think, because the Andes did the main thrust of the Uberstrike book. But I got to throw in a lot of stuff. I created one or two of the cults because I needed them for other stuff. Yes. And I, I you know threw in like literally random hooks to a point i couldn't even tell you guys like i'd go through the doc we had it set up on a, a where we could all see it in a shared folder through uh, g suites yeah and i'd go in and just like oh i had an idea and just add like hooks <laughs> yeah so i'd be hard pressed out if you're like did you write this hook i'd be like nope Mm-mm. this one uh, maybe <laughs> maybe have to, well. i have to check my notes you know i might have wrote that so it just eventually you get this stuff where it all blends together. Just to kind of give you guys an idea, I wrote two chapters in, in the Player's Guide, the Adventures in Middle-Earth Player's Guide, that okay. I wrote while talking to Gareth Ryder Hanrahan Gar, who's a very famous game designer. And Gar and I were literally talking on Skype live while we were both working on the same chapter. And now to show you guys this chapter, I can, for the life of me, tell you where Gar's words end in my begin, or vice versa. <laughs> right. Like, we literally, we were so in sync when we wrote it that it would be impossible to pull out who wrote what at this point. It's just like that blended. That's very So cool. you would definitely see that throughout the guide for the Andes. That's like Andrew Law, um, Andy Law and Andrew Lees, or in the Andes, as I always refer to the two of them. But for that particular one, they were, like, in the same room writing and hand in hand. And if you asked the two of them, like, well, who did this? They'd be able to go, hey, I la- Andy wrote this. Andrew wrote that. But this – I don't know. We both did. Right. <laughs> There's some stuff that's varies, which is why – I know it seems like a straightforward question. Like, what did you write? But sometimes it's a lot more complicated with products oh, no. like this. no. I, like, I honestly well, expected – a bunch of different stuff.
1: Yeah. Anyway. I expected that there was a lot of collaboration just because – some of the the hooks when we're talking about those in a little bit. But there's no way one person could so come up with all yeah. of that. That's,
2: am- I'll it, that's you, amazing. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you something. I didn't write anything of at all, and it's so glorious. I wish I did. The bog king is all Andrew. <gasps> oh, I'm <was laughs> gonna ask
4: really
0: about win. that. Okay, I yeah.
2: desperately wish that was me. <laughs> It was not. I desperately uh, wish was. The
1: Bog King is one uh, of the first things people talk about when they talk about this I guide. I, I'm
0: pretty sure that um, was we, the, literally the first words you spoke to me about this, Lance, was like, flip to the back. Yeah. <laughs> we we, li- <laughs> the we literally
2: King. like we literally just say to one another in meetings sometimes, yeah, Bog King, and we start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, even with internally in C7, we just go, Bog King, Bog King, and people start laughing. That's That's <laughs> hilarious. We Mm -hmm. joked about Bog King (laughs) merge. Can we get this past GW? Uh You know?
1: Uh, Gw, I highly doubt you listen to us, but if you do, I will buy so many of those shirts. <laughs> I, I,
2: okay, can you, just, can you imagine the bog with tentacles coming out? <laughs>
1: right, like you could do some sort of play on the like Cthulhu, but like make it oh, yeah. bog kingy, and then just say bog king. That's like literally yeah, all you yeah, need, exactly. and then the bog put king a, loves you. Yeah, put a GW logo at the bottom, a Cubicle Seven logo at the bottom, <laughs> and set. just say Bo- bog king. I will buy so many yeah. of those shirts. I
2: know it's just hilarious. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's good stuff.
1: <laughs> so, all right, let's so let's get into the uh, the starter set itself, and it's glorious. There's a lot it to is. talk about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right now we've got both the uh, guide to Uber's Reich and the adventure book. Um, co- it, between those two, there is a wealth of information. Obviously, story hooks are essentially on every page, which is amazing for new GMs, especially to give you some ideas if you're not super familiar with, with the warhammer world uh starter set is obviously the place to go and that i mean kind of goes without saying right
2: the uh, yeah, and, and part of uh, the idea with those hooks too is to give value for the, you know, the older GMs of multiple other editions that have the core, and they're like, well, why do I need the starter set? Sure. I know, all, you know, I, I know Warhammer just fine. Like, okay, well, we'll give you more hooks than you can choke a dog with, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know. It's always good to have ideas. And we've actually had some, like, you know, jaded old guys go, man, this is really good. You know? nice. <laughs> this is so many ideas. It's really good. Even though half of them are like, I, I know a couple old guys that are like, I'm not sending an Uber's right, but all these hooks, pfft. I'm moving them, you know, yeah. <laughs> far to the yeah. East where my game is set. Most of them, I could just scoop up and drop someplace else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Change the location and you're good to go. Yeah, totally. So the, uh, in, in the, um, adventure book, we've got an image of the, the dice that are going to be included. Um, yeah. Q workshop dice. They've definitely got that Q workshop look to them. Um, what do you think Lance? They've got like, <laughs> a, they kind are of like a dwarven.
1: <laughs> I, I love, I love the dice. Uh, I, I wasn't sure what to expect when when the dice were coming. I thought they were going to be cool um I'm pretty excited about them. I have so many questions um like and and maybe you can answer some of these first off, the dice look beautiful. Have you held them t s have you held like a
2: any of them i saw i, I saw the early pro, uh, early proto one i haven't seen the final for the box itself, but I saw the proto okay so like so
1: here's a couple of questions we have um like first off, do you know will they be sold separately from the the box set?
2: To the best of my knowledge, uh, they will, in fact, eventually be sold separate of the box set. Okay. The interesting thing with, this is kind of a, a side, but it's kind of neat to know, the number one game in Poland uh, for the last couple of years in RPGs was Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2nd Edition. Hmm. Hmm. It was... Huge, it wasn't his remains, huge over there. Yeah, my friend Chris Pramus of Green Radine went over there and they were like worshiping the ground he walked on. He was over there for a con, they invited him and they were just like, Oh, Mr. Pramus, you know, guys know Chris. He's like, Oh my god, dude, Pramus is Mr. Pramus is my father, you nice. know, that's, oh, yeah. that's not me, you know. But they were really like, Oh, this way, you know. And so he was laughing about it. He's like, Yeah, they're gonna be serious. And if you guys didn't know, Q workshops Polish, so. For the guys at Key Workshop, and uh, I forget their main guy's name. He's really nice. He and Dom go way back. But for them, it was like an honor. Like, he was super stoked to do Dice for Warhammer fantasy roleplay. For him, that was just like an absolutely awesome thing to get to do. Because they're huge Warhammer fans. So they were just like, yes, totally. So yeah, that was that was pretty fun. So yeah, I'm fairly certain that they will be sold separate of the uh, of the box set because you know, because fans too will say like, hey, I'd like to get this. but for whatever reason, I just I don't want the starter set. Should sure. I get the dies? So yeah, yeah I, I know I you can't guys did that
3: with that the lone wolf.
2: Yeah, um, totally. I, I can't imagine this not eventually separating right. at some point. So I, I mind you, I can't say when. I don't know right, right. the. Time sure. for, we don't even have the thing out yet, much less. Right, separate right. dice.
1: I know this is probably less likely, but man, I want different colors too. Like I want every player at my table to have their own color. I always think in like the eight colors of magic, we could have eight colors of dice. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The different dice. Yeah. Way
2: back in the day, it's almost impossible to find now, you know, W did a set of D sixes mm. that had all the colors of the winds of magic and they were the right colors.
1: I, I looked I've looked for those in the past, but you're right. They're, like, impossible to find. Or if you find them, they're really expensive. Yeah,
2: Yeah, they're super hard to find. But back in the day, they had a set. (laughs) So, yeah, I I do not know. I know that usually new colors, they seem nice, but it's tricky to... Like, a set of dice is obviously very different than a print run. Right.
1: Uh, Well, still, GW... Item number two, that I would throw my money. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Things that we would like to
2: have.
0: (laughs) Like we don't already throw enough money, right? Right, That's fair. Yeah,
2: Yeah, exactly. So we were talking about just like the intended physical starter set components, right? Yeah. I think the new thing that everybody heard is there's going to be advantage tokens. Yeah. And to the best of my uh, knowledge, the advantage tokens are a thick cardboard cutout. Okay. So they're not, they're they're basically, uh, but nice like. Not just cardstock, but like thicker.
0: Yeah, like punch board.
2: If you, okay. if, yeah, if you yeah. guys have seen some of the stuff that we did, like we really care about our starter sets, like the stuff we did with Lone Wolf and right. whatnot. We think the starter set is definitely like that company f- open first facing like that might very well be the first product you pick up from a company. Yeah. Right. If you're really like, I, I don't know about these guys, what they do. They're like, well, $30 <laughs> is a really low price point by the starter set. Hey, if you get it from them, you can even get the PDF. You know, if you get it from them or a brick and mortar store, you could get the PDF for free. So that's usually that's pretty little skin in the game, right? You get to yeah. check it out for a pretty yeah, reasonable gotta, gotta price. Got to get people hooked
0: for no. sure. That's and the it's, right
2: and it,
1: it. there's amazing amount of stuff in here because it's not just it's the books. It's the, I mean, this is sixty plus dollars worth of stuff yeah. that Cubicle Seven is selling for thirty bucks. It yeah, it's amazing.
2: They, well, we were definitely big. There's a, a couple of the handouts. There's an the introduction to the Empire, right? Yeah. I was big on having that. The idea is like, okay, well, what do you know about the empire? Like everybody's going to know something. So we wanted at least a sheet that's like, okay, this is kind of as a citizen, you know, this stuff. I actually pushed at one point to have a definite thing in there that you realize, you know, that if the law takes you, you're guilty until you can prove your innocence. <laughs> I thought that was an important thing to tell people.
4: Yeah.
0: I remember yeah. when like, yeah, we first yeah, started playing out, like, second edition, <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> uh, that was my really, my first experience with Warhammer and, uh, I was like, oh, well, there's road wardens up there. Let's just go tell them what happened. And everybody was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, you're an idiot. Don't do that. You will get killed.
2: Like, yeah, don't uh, talk to those guys. You know, but they're the law enforcement.
0: Yeah. Don't it was like, talk to them. Think more like Judge Dredd on a bad day. Like They're going to just <laughs> yeah. gonna judge you right away and you're going to die. So I loved I think reading through we ended here and seeing. like
3: through a dangerous woods just yeah, to side track them. Just
0: to get away from the road wardens.
2: <laughs> but there's also a set of handouts that are like, secrets you might know or rumors you've heard right off the bat so your players have stuff to talk oh, right, about right, okay so, so that's also there's a set of sheets for those to hand out to everybody like okay things your character happens to know or has found out
1: i'm i'm a huge fan of handouts i'm a huge fan of of that it, just all of the stuff that comes in here we have dice we have the maps which are beautiful right we have mm-hmm. advantage tokens which we've played with a lot of different yeah
0: to, concepts to, about tokens what to use, dice tokens, you know dice, just going everything. by
1: pips and things but um, mm-hmm. on all the different things you can track in this game most everything can be tracked easily on your sheet but the advantage tokens i personally think you got to track advantage separate from your sheet
4: yeah
2: and, i i use coin mm-hmm. and i actually use copper and silver ones except sally gets gold ones ah uh, <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah. Very nice. and i make a point of when the other players tried to take the gold ones i slap their hands and like no only sally gets gold ones so great. <laughs> so that is the noble character for those of you that don't know the pre-gens. So she was the only one allowed to touch the gold. <laughs> the others only got silver and copper.
1: Yeah. And what, and another thing too, like the rules references is in here too. Like there's like several pages of that and that's now, and, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about this. I think that um, I'm skipping ahead cause this is part of it, but we have these rule references, but then later mm-hmm. cubicle seven announced that there's also going to be a GM screen. And yes. so that's interesting, like uh, they, I think they described it as a simple or a starter GM screen. So it kind of yes. makes me think we're going to get something that we can use, functional, Again, a yeah. functional thing. And then later on, maybe we'll get like a full on. Well,
2: so what we're doing is we're being kind of sneaky. Um, we have this whole box and most people, it just stores stuff and then they set the box aside. And we thought, what if we printed the inside of the box? Uh, what if we turn that uh... into a GM screen? So the inside of the box will have useful charts and stuff on it.
0: That's very cool. That's
2: so literally, you'll be awesome. able to take your box and go, and then you can use the box. Simple gems. So okay. we, they're still playing with some bells and whistles with it, but that's the basic idea. That why should the box set aside just to storage when right. you've got the inner surface of the box to use for that kind of thing?
1: That's that's but, genius. So do you know, this is my one thing so far that I had a concern okay. of is out of those reference rules references. Unless I missed it, there isn't anything that tells the players about their fate, fortune, resilience, and resolve, right? Because those are, you know, tools that they can use during the game. Is that, that is stuff going to be in the, in the box?
2: Um, you should look at the pre-gen.
1: Yeah, are those oh, yeah, yeah. Do. Yeah.
2: yeah, it looks like Steve's um, the got the, Steve's are. got that. Yeah, Steve's going to tell us about the pre-gens because, yeah, that's <laughs> where that material is.
1: I uh, know. I just feel like an
3: idiot. All right. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and it's your turn, Steve. Tell us all about them. Yeah. Pre-gen characters. Uh, these are exciting because, you know, how uh, most people like if they've been in WolfRup, you know, they might just buy kind of the core rule book and go with the flow. But this is perfect for starters because not only do they give you uh, different characters and just kind of how like they're different. Like if you got a guy that a friend that you know he drinks six pack of beer and da 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 da. Hey, Gunner, there you go. That might be more you,
0: Steve. Um, I love that you just said that because right before we started recording, I've got we printed these out. I took a picture of the uh, like the parchment that's on the front that talks about who Gunner is and you know who should play him. I took a picture yeah. of that. I took a picture of the full art piece on the back, and I sent it to my buddy. And I was like, "Hey, when are we going to play this?" And he shot back with like, "When are we going to play this? How about next week?" Exactly. <laughs> like super deep <laughs> about it. Just just from a it's, glance, just, looking at this, because uh, yeah, it's it it's just pulls so perfect.
3: You in. You know, you if you got those new players, you know, you could take them through the ropes of creating their own character, but it's just nice to kind of be like, uh how do you usually act? Uh, maybe you want to be this character and you already got the stats, you already yeah. got what can what can be made and they're just I love the artwork the, and, and
1: the layout too. Wonderful. Like this is Yeah, the layout. We're not looking at a char- a full character creation character sheet or whatever, but this is this is enough. Like for I've seen a lot of starter sets. I've seen starter sets that's basically your normal character creation and but this is so much better wow. i got the artwork it's simple it's, it's straightforward it's what i need and and ah oh, yes and it's beautiful it has such detail
3: on on what you can do to to define your character like right. we'll use gunner as as an example but like just uh quotations he might use Yeah, you know you guys went in depth with kind of like this is kind of who the character is, just by quotations. Um, you guys got who who he is, brief description. Right. One of my uh, favorite Odyssey parts like. on this is
0: <laughs> is why why would you play this character? Because that's another yeah. thing too, right? There's so many different, um, you know, the people that you play with are going to have different personalities. They're going to have different different uh, things they like when they're playing role playing games. So they can look through here and say, oh well, boy, I I definitely don't want to play as Gunner, but I do want to play as you know, Solandra or Ferdinand or, or whatever.
2: Yeah, totally. That makes it easy well, for the and, players. Well, And one of the things, too, that Cubicle 7 has a reputation for really good pre-gen characters. I guess I should start there. A lot of people really like the characters that we've done for the one ring. Like, we had kind of a core six, and they liked them so much, they begged us to do another set. And I ended up writing the second set, which is specifically their six Rohirrim, which is for the uh, the land of Rohan and the set of adventures called the oaths of the riddermark. You, because you it's very distinct. That's awesome. All done. Thank you. I'm, a, well, I'm very, a
1: huge one ring fan too.
2: Oh, cool. I, they're all very, well, they're very distinct, right? Because that series of adventures, not to go from Wolfrup too fast, but just to tell your listeners that those adventures are very much set in Rohan. I, I presume most of your listeners know what Rohan is, <laughs> right? <laughs> Even though it's a fictional country, y'all know, right? <laughs> and, um, they obviously are not big total outsiders trouncing into their land and telling them what's what. That's not the way of the Rohirrim at all. So it was pretty much presumed that if you're going to run these adventures, you mostly need Rohirrim character. So for people that had ongoing one ring campaigns, a lot of them like took a break to then go run Oaths of the Rittermark with this different set of characters. So we found a lot of people told me they use those pre-gen. And it's so great to have like six Rohirrim that are all very different people. Right, And yet still all clearly Rohanry, but just all very different. Right. So yeah, we basically we have a reputation for having really good pre-chants and people are always asking us to do more. But it's tricky because we put a lot of effort into them. So each time we want to do our best, but also advance them. So with these, you can imagine when you have them, they'll be gate folded. So you can see it says, hey, there are secrets inside, don't look. Yeah. So when you get yeah. these out of the yep. sheet, they'll be folded in half and all you'll be able to see is... You'll look at one side, you'll see the full picture of whoever the character is, and then you flip that, and you'll see on the back, it'll be the two folded, and you'll have the one side that'll say, okay, here's the scroll with quotes, who this person is, and hey, if you are going to play them, then you can open it up. Because what we did was, each character has a motivation that the player gets to choose. Group ties, they get to choose. Secrets, as many as they want to choose from the list. Well, uh, so Secrets are
3: genius. Yeah, I love that. I like yeah. the idea a lot.
2: Yeah, and that was and that's kind of a new thing that the best of our knowledge, somebody else might have done it and I will certainly take correction, but to the best of my knowledge, and you know, this is the first we're the first ones to do something like that.
1: I I'm I'm gonna tell you, T. S. that I think I even tweeted about this off our account, but like when I looked at that and I saw that immediately, this is something I will do in every role playing game with any serious campaign that I run, I don't care what the system is from now till all time.
0: Well, and what's so great about that is that if you're sitting at a table with say four or five players, they all pick their characters or make their characters. And then you hand each one of them, like slide across the table, a little piece of paper and it's secret for each of them. So they pick it up and they look at it and you know, you instruct them not to tell anybody else. And that's you know, those are the secrets that they've got to pick from, or they can choose to pick from, or whatever. But, but yeah. the genius,
1: the genius part is, you can buy more, and like oh, these yeah. secrets are often not helpful to you, right? right. But they're, but they're no. great, they're great role playing fodder too, right? So right. you guys, right, playing our game. If I had done this with you, I guarantee you would have bought every single secret because yeah. you wanted it, and then later you would have been like, "Why did I do yeah, that?
0: This was a this is a poor choice."
2: Yeah, this story tweak. A, This initial handful of money is nothing in the face of the trouble that I've bought for myself. <laughs> yes. yeah. So yes, yeah, that's definitely a Warhammer as well.
1: It's beautiful my yeah. easily my favorite thing about the and, and the gate fold and I don't know if everyone i didn't realize what this was until I like actually printed these out and yeah. I figured it out like this this concept that you're opening it up like a gate right like two doors and
0: so it's basically like a what uh seventeen inch by eleven inch sheet of paper yeah right double wide and you'd fold right
3: the
0: yeah two you know quarters of it in to make a Make what looks like a single sheet of paper, but it opens yeah. from the center. Looks it looks correct, great, and it's so functional. Yeah,
2: you'll know you've done it correct when, if you look at it, uh, the character portrait, you basically see the, the all of the the kind of the white border with the little of the gray. When yep. you look on one side, that that's what you see. Right. So when you flip it around, you should then see the two halves, and they overlap. By, I think an inch and a half when you flip it around. Yeah. So and yeah. that's you know. basically what they'll look like when people have them in the print sure yeah
1: Yeah, i can't wait to get these in uh like in the actual starter set when the physical thing yeah it should be cool
2: they're still they're uh, they're really high quality uh, stock um if you've ever seen lone wolf that's the same kind of like the nice sheets we did for lone wolf but it was kind of uh, another step up right like the lone wolf sheets had stuff that folded out too but not quite like this like not this whole know, the big fold over with secrets and choices of exactly how you work. That's kind of the next itineration of what we've been doing.
0: You had mentioned too that people want more uh, starter characters, which of course people are going to want more, but these are so woven into the story. All of these characters are woven into the story and making the rounds and all the story hooks after the fact that, you know, making a new character isn't as simple as like throwing stats on a sheet. Right. Oh and, no! And I hope a I, piece of art. Like, there's a lot that goes into it. Oh
2: sure, I, I think people like we we certainly hope that people love these characters for years to come. I mean, they're literally on the cover of the core and the starter yeah. set. Like, well, right. <laughs> the same characters.
3: I was about to say that they're in the artwork. It, it's just nice to go through like the rule book and the adventure books, and they're there. Yeah, they're they're, they're throughout of, the like, entire daily book. life, and kind of <laughs> it's nice. Yeah,
2: it's definitely one of those like if people play them for a while, they're like, hey, there's me, you know? Like, yeah. off,
3: they're like, oh yeah, sure, check her
2: out, you know? So, yeah, it's that ongoing. I think there's some really great ones with Molly, like, stealing stuff or <laughs> trying to yeah. – There's an absolutely okay. awesome picture of Molly picking a lock in one of those. I don't, I don't remember where it is, but there's a great shot of Molly trying to pick a lock, like, kind of this it's concerned expression on her face.
1: It's in the rules chapter when they talk about extended tasks. Oh, there that's, you go.
2: It's yeah. sad so that I, I have I the
1: book memorized that well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually – it's awesome. But that's the kind of thing you're playing her or somebody's playing her. And it's definitely like, oh, yeah, here's like your character in an action shot. Here's you picking a lot. <laughs> What'd you look like?
1: Ah, uh, amazing. We could talk about these forever. But but the Forget. real meat of the starter set is, I think, in the two guides. And and I think the first one that we want to take a look at here is the adventure book. And. Going to be a little bit limited in what we're going to be able to discuss here, right? Because we don't want to spoil uh, an adventure that you know your GM might run for you or something. But I hope not, <laughs> right? But but we're going to talk about this in some broad terms. And and I know um you wrote like the beginning adventure here. Uh, you, at least you were the big part of it. And uh, first thing, I think the thing that took me a second, and when I realized what you did, I think it's so good. Is it's you basically built a introduction campaign, um, or, or mini campaign, if you will, that starts linear, explains the rules and then gives a sandbox yeah. approach.
2: That like, was the plan. That's, and I, and I'm glad you saw that because that was the plan. So why, so tell me why, what made you come up with that, that thought
1: process? Cause I know sandbox is a big term people throw around nowadays. Like, were you trying to meet the expectations of new players and experience with this or what, what that, was a thought?
2: I mean, ultimately, the only person you try to satisfy in the this strange, this strange gaming industry is yourself, right? Jokes aside, but I have to satisfy me. I mean, when I do this, there's a lot of pressure on me. When I work on The One Ring, I, Tolkien's foundational for me. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure on myself to write the best that I can. I've loved Warhammer, the second edition of Warhammer Fantasy Battles. You know, and I obviously, I did a lot of work on the second edition that's still very well regarded, so coming into the fourth, it was a real thing for Dom and Andy to go, okay t s you're gonna write the first big adventure it's going to be you so like, okay, I want to write intro to the old world itself, and even though new players will have all this information about their characters, I still think that they should be introduced to what the old world is like, so much of making the rounds is kind of an intro into what the old world is like, like the slice of life of how things go. <laughs> I, and it, it's amazing. Yeah. It,
1: it's amazing. I can tell you like one of the pots, spots where I really realized like, Oh, I see what you're doing there is uh, without giving any details away or whatever, where you see, Oh, this is how law enforcement really works yeah. in the old world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not yeah. quite what you expect, and that's what's yeah, great about a, having this be such like a great introduction. Because a lot of people, especially in the U.S., I'm sure more than other than you know overseas, people don't know Warhammer. You don't know what that world's like. You can tell them that it's fantasy, but there's a lot of different iterations of fantasy. So giving yeah, them totally. a, a great jumping off point is super important. Warhammer.
2: Right. Yeah, it's definitely its own flavor, right? And that's really the big. It doesn't, at a certain extent, it almost it doesn't matter. What system you use right now, we've tried our best to use a system that both draws on the legacy of Warhammer fantasy roleplay, but also brings some new bells and whistles, right? But Mm -hmm. you could use a completely different system set. I mean, you could run Warhammer with Savage Worlds, or something completely different, and have people go, that doesn't feel like Warhammer. Right? right. But then you put the right stuff in place, and no matter what system you're, you're using, people are like, this feels like Warhammer. <laughs> right. It's just when certain things hit you or things happen, you're nodding, going, oh, yeah, this is Warhammer. Right. It just so happens this system eventually carries, you know, disease, which many games gloss over. So, disease and corruption and all these things that are very much a part of the old world. Yeah. So a whole that's, part of the experience.
1: And that's, you know, and that's the thing I actually. We were talking before when I run a Star Wars game. You know, I try to make that heroic journey and whatever. I I I try not to hit my players too hard. Right. When it comes to Warhammer as a GM, it's like I have that player contract that says, "Hey guys, this is Warhammer. I'm not going to do anything on purpose. Too bad, but I am not holding back. Disease. Oh yeah. Corruption. It's on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm <laughs> gonna put it in front of you, and if you choose to take it, I'm bringing it.
2: Well, and especially if you talk to people about their old Warhammer stories, look at how many of them, like, they have these great glowing memories of old characters, like other games. But the Warhammer ones are like, yeah, he had a peg leg and is missing a finger. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, how many other games right. are they like, yeah, my playwrights memberment but he
3: was awesome. He was all just a member <laughs> Right? I was barely to say back best together. Memories of playing are when I almost died. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, it's
2: it's just a game that lends itself to they're not superheroes. They're not right. Players are not superheroes. If you survive, and we'll get back to it. we're kind of going into a little bit of general Warhammer as opposed to just sure. adventure. But the fact is, and you guys know as players, if you survive in Warhammer, and this is true in the fourth edition, people don't realize you can make a total badass fourth edition if you sit and uh, just play with it for yourselves make a fourth career or even a fifth career pc and tweak it a bit see what it does and look at what you could do with the feats and whatnot at that point you could have a legitimately badass dude one that capable of going into a lot of fights and taking out a lot of foes and at the same time you're like this guy could still get shanked by a goblin that gets lucky with a critical hit right yeah. Right. You know, exactly. and of course, at that tier, you're like, well, if you're using all the rules, the guy has the good armor, so the first critical hit or two, he takes in his armor, right? And so right. there's different. If you're coordinating the different rules, you're like, these all allows the person to be a badass, allows the gal to keep kicking ass longer because she's got all these advantages. But eventually, it's just not a game that you just are never a hundred percent confident in your ability to always be on top. Yeah. So a- ambush and fast fights and getting the drop is like the order of the day. Yeah.
1: And, and I'll, I'll bring us back to adventure here. The beautiful thing about yeah. all of that is it's always Warhammer is always interspersed with humor and <laughs> the first encounter that because I, I ran. So this big first fight, the uh, how did you describe it? The in media res that you, you throw in in this adventure is beautiful, man. Like <laughs> I, I, I read it three or four times before I ran my players through it Um, because I ran my cousins the first time I ran it through just to like try to, I need to get my head about what's going on. I don't need to have everything perfect. But, and then the mayhem and chaos, we were laughing at the same time that we're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm in a fight. I got to do something and I have to make hard decisions, like right in there, you know, do I draw a sword in this situation?
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What am I going to do? And I, I, there's an example we, we when you mentioned before to Lance, it in, enforces something that I don't think we're doing too spoilers, uh, listeners, that I, there's a fight very early on, obviously. There's a big brawl that occurs pretty early on. But there's a really crystal clear thing in there. If you're playing Ferdinand, who's the magister, and you use magic, there's a explosion of people running away from you yelling witch, right? It's a very big deal and it has repercussions later on. And that's another of my grounding people like this is not D&D, where you can just drop spells left and right. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's a wizard you know, he's from the order of so-and-so. That is not how it works. It's
1: oh, no. I, <laughs> I love it. So we actually, when, when I ran it, I didn't have a wizard in that situation. But I love the fact that it's specifically called out. Like, So there are consequences um, of that first encounter. It, without going into those consequences, like, oh, it's specifically laid out that if a wizard casts magic, oh, here's what's happening right now. And, yep. and I, I absolutely love that. It, it really gets you into the the feel. And here's the thing, like some people are like, oh, as a new player, they wouldn't know that. And I'm like, great, right? Because yes. y- you yep. can yep. experience why Warhammer is different and great. Yeah, totally. It teaches totally. you
3: to be clever. Because yep. you know, all the situations like you know that it might be a goblin or two, but you could die. So it's just being clever on your next move and what you're going to do. And sometimes well, your plans it's... still fail in a funny way. Yeah, totally.
2: Well, and it, it makes me think a lot too, not to get too in the weeds. But this is really worth noting. One of the things about the new system in 4A that people have talked about is some, some folks, if they haven't played it yet, are a little dubious on advantage. They say like, well, it seems to be a big thing like advantage. And the thing that you always hear is this, you know, this boogeyman of, well, what if a bad guy gets runaway advantages and they get up to like six or seven advantages? How do you ever take that guy on? Like, his advantage for those that don't know, basically each stone, each bit of advantage is another plus 10. So pretty soon, if somebody for whatever reason manages to rack up a lot of advantage, you're like, how do we possibly stop this person? As long as they don't completely chunk their role, they're just going to end up with all these successes. Well, if you read between the lines of the starter set and you look at what Ferdinand can do, he could just walk up and stun that person, like, easily.
1: Well, in the system's And built- when
2: you're stunned, you lose all advantage immediately because it's a condition. And
1: we talked about this a little bit in our review episode with, with advantage. There are ways yeah, to mitigate yeah. it. But advantage also is the... So some second edition people lament the fact that oh where's ulrich's fury i'm like advantage and the opposed test that's ulrich's fury.
2: yeah so, totally it's it's blended into it for yeah. sure that that was a very deliberate yes that is you are right lance that's basically ulrich's fury that is explicitly something andy and i and dom had talked about and andy wanted in there that is definitely part of ulrich's fury translated forward to make it quicker because the thing is and obviously I guess it's like Nixon going to China. I can say stuff about 2E more readily than other people. They're like, oh, you blasphemer, right? Uh, right. 2E fights lasted too long. They yep. really did. Parry, parry, dodge, parry, like, for God's sakes. And then you dancing miss. Dancing around, yeah. Right, uh, yeah, dancing, yeah. And dancing. Like, that's just, Dance not what fights, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just not what fights should look like. I mean, it is kind of hilarious once or twice when you just have, like, this series of mess-ups. But now, I think in 4E, it's even funnier because you can both fail... But because you're doing the opposed role, you go, well, you failed less bad. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I <laughs> always, when both people chonk it, but the player wins, I always describe it like, you know, yeah, the guy misses his parry, but so do you. But you stumble forward and manage to stab him. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, if you both fail, I describe it that way. Like, you were so lame, you got lucky that he was even more lame. You know? <laughs> you barely managed to hurt him.
1: But it, but it makes sense. I I really, really like the new combat. Yeah.
0: Well, and like you said, it does make sense. If you're in a fight with somebody and they land two hits on you, you're screwed. Like they are, they, they do have the advantage. If you're knocked to the ground, how, what, how likely is it that they're going to just stand there and wait for you to stand up and ready yourself? Not likely at all. If you're in a fight to the death, it's, that's how it's going to go.
2: It's absolutely true. And it also kind of covers kind of a classic role playing in general, but it really explicitly enforces it. It's totally cool to run away. Like, <laughs> like you're afraid of these guys that keep racking up advantage? Maybe you guys should run away and deal with them another time because yeah. the advantage goes away. <laughs> Just run away.
0: Yeah, throw a chair at them and then run out the door, whatever. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Well, a big one that people, uh, actually, I ran it not too long ago. I, I was telling you guys uh, about before the show for some folks that had never done it and very quick, they gone on to, wait a minute, wait a minute, a ballistic skill test not opposed if I do it from a distance. Like, exactly. Yep. To like, so I can shoot somebody. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, gal playing Molly the Halfling is like, show I can whack somebody with a sling stone. And if I cause a wound or two, all that advantage goes away. And they're not opposing me with all their advantage because I'm just making a ballistics roll to hit them. I'm like, yep. <laughs> they're like, ooh, okay. So, of course, that led to the very Warhammer, like, wait a minute. What if they're in the midst of fighting my friend? I'm like, you have a good chance of hitting your friend.
0: Yeah. Okay. We've experienced that. Understand <laughs> that. <someone>. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that is like literally exactly what happened in our <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in in our Gen Con game.
2: Yeah. So. Exactly. You're like, well, I guess we're just going to proceed. Whack. <laughs> but we still won the day. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yay. So, so I have to say, Rudy Klumpenklug,
1: Klumpenklug, mm-hmm. love yep. that character. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh,
2: I that. Yeah,
1: I like Rudy. Yeah. Did Did you have a specific? Uh, like inspiration
2: Inspiration, for the
1: Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, um, the whole of uh, the whole of making the rounds is lovingly dedicated to the late Terry Pratchett and Guards Guards. Oh, so his yeah. uh Ankh-Morpork is uh his Discworld stuff. Specifically the Guards Guards there's uh three or four novels about the city guard of ankh Morakpak. And awesome. uh it's it's definitely dedicated to those guys in kind of a, in a loving way. Yeah, it, it's definitely draws on that. And I've already had a few people that ran it, went, oh my gosh, is this like, is this dedicated to like, or at least is it inspired by Terry Pratchett? I am like, absolutely. Warhammer's got inspiration by Terry Pratchett. Like his DNA is definitely in there. So Very that awesome. is definitely where that came from. But yeah, the funniest thing is got that picture of Glump and Cluck. I described him and I literally described him, like I said, he has a nose like a rutabaga. And the artist was so great. They like looked it all up and took all of my description. And the first time I saw Klump Club, I was rolling. I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I pictured. That's <laughs> like, awesome. He looks like what I pictured. Yeah, that's one of the, my favorite things in all of being a designer. I'm not an artist. And I love watching skilled artists turn my words into illustrations. It's I've done it so many years and it's still a thrill. Like every single time, it's still a big thrill to see the art
1: that's that's legit
2: yeah it's really cool but yeah that clumping cook's spot on that's that's rudy <laughs> that's so, exactly how i pictured it. So.
1: now i have one other thing i wanted to mention about the the, the beginning of the adventure and okay um you have your sandbox kind of area and get to experience warhammer as, as i kind of think that's the intent there and then and then you're like all right when you're ready let's take it up a notch. And man, do you like, when I read that final, like, all right, this is how you finish this kind of mini adventure series. Well done, man. That's like, all right, <laughs> here we go. Warhammer. You you showed me what Warhammer is. Now you really showed me what Warhammer
2: is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you have a really good idea how Warhammer can go. Well, part of it is too, that the reality of the old world is the fascinating one that There's the surface world that most citizens try to be born into, live through, and die through, never knowing what's really going on. And the reality of an adventurer's life is you are going to see beneath the skin of the world. Yeah, You will see things that other people do not even reckon exist, which is why they think you're a madman. And most experienced adventurers get real soon. They should mostly keep their mouth shut, right? (laughs) Take (laughs) take the money and run, you know, is, is definitely the Warhammer ethos. It's just like... Get paid. One or two nobles that are semi competent that you get along with, that make sure you have them as patrons, get paid and get out. Like once you've done whatever you need to do, get paid and get out. Dude. Nobody wants you around reminding them exactly how messed up the world is. Right. <laughs> you just like forget this.
0: They've got enough problems already. They don't need to exactly. stress about the yeah. the well, imminent I doom wrote, that's coming.
2: I wrote an adventure for the second edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay that's still very well regarded as one of the best from that era. It's called Terran Taliban. Oh and, yeah. Okay. It's a uh, it's a campaign set in Taliban, the Eye of the Forest. And uh without being too spoilery, it pretty much has a lot of Skaven in it. But the idea behind Terran Talibine when I wrote it was to introduce Skaven to the Empire openly and then show that nobody cares. <laughs> it's it's literally one more accusation witch hunters throw it people you're in league with the skaven you know like they find out and nobody cares and literally like there's a vignette of the skaven like slapping their foreheads and going you know all these years wasted ruined ruined wasted no one cares (laughs) (laughs) you know years spent in the shadows all these you know all these things no one cares (laughs) And it's literally like my original and they were they were good but black uh, the black industries at the time pushed back and they were a little that's awesome but it's too far <laughs> they were like uh-huh. like I mean, it's too bleak to have everyone be like nah, nobody cares that they're ratting it. you know like no one no one cares so we tweaked it a bit so it wasn't quite so like <laughs> it, it lands like a led zeppelin because everybody is eh, whatever we have other problems right
1: yeah it's but- it's still, there was the Skaven Wars, and then like what, f- 50 years later, everybody's forgotten about Skaven, so. Right.
2: Sure. <laughs> well, and that's why the second edition book, uh, Children of the Horned Rat, fantastic book, mm-hmm. uh, which you guys can still get uh, the PDF from us these days, is it's, it's kind of hard to get the print, it's ridiculous on eBay, but uh, my friend uh, Gary Astleford, Robert Schwab, wrote that. and Gary's actually one of the writers on the core. he did a bunch of the careers and whatnot. Oh, but okay. he, he introduced stuff in that book that was so good, it leapt over into the miniatures game, which in those days, is, is it's always been a big deal from Second Ed. Anything we did that made it to the miniatures, was like, ooh, they really like that. And this, he created the Musk of Fear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and some of the, the Skaven things that were actually Gary's creations that became part of like the Skaven milieu. But one of the interesting things about that book is you get like, the Skaven are basically their own worst enemy, right? They they right, should right. have this world spanning thing. It should, and they've just completely failed themselves left and right due to their own nature. So I think they're a really great lesson. That it was interesting how GW eventually played them through in the Storm of Chaos, so or into the end time. so times. So I think, yeah, yeah I, I think we like them as useful and new and menacing, and that's one of the things. Without too many giveaways, we have a couple of Skaven. The stats in the book in the starter set for folks that wanted more scaven stuff from the uh, core. There is some in the starter set.
1: Yes, there is. There's a couple of things and actually, well, just real quick to get kind of through the rest of the adventure book. There's more than oh, just sure. the starter adventure too.
2: Oh yeah. Right? I guess we should proper. Yeah. I guess we'll give a, a proper description, Lance. People ask a lot and it's like, well, what do you guys mean? there is a full adventure. That's making the rounds. That is a full starting adventure written through a GM advice on, hey, you're running an adventure for the first time. Okay. Things to look out for running an adventure for many times. Well, here's some useful advice and things you might want to be doing. And that's all throughout that adventure. So it sets you up for a campaign if you want. And then there's a series of what we think of as adventure scenarios. It's more than a hook, but less than a full adventure.
0: Yes, so most exactly. of them are like
2: two to yep. three pages, right? And they have illustrations and. They talk about a situation, and some have stats for the bad guys or stuff going on. And there's 11 of them, and they're really good. Many of them are connected to the character's past. Oh, yeah. There's there's one for each of the characters that's actually directly connected to each one of the character's past. And then there's a number that are expansions of things that happen in-game. And and
1: I'm assuming this is the intent. Almost all of these, I can see this pointing. The whole starter set seems to point towards... Hey,
2: the enemy within the, oh, it yeah. just
1: ties in there with everything. Yes. I could see that Eventually coming.
2: Eventually you will all find out the entire purpose for Carl Franz seizing Uber's yes. Reich from the Young Freuds is tied into the opening events of the enemy.
1: That's in and, and that's hilarious because I actually went through and looked for that answer. I'm like, wait, did they ever say why in this book? I don't- like,
2: it's I don't think we no, they don't. I don't think we've publicly said that, other than Andy's. I can tell you guys because Andy's talked about that open on the Discord. Andy's talked about that on the Rat Catchers Guild open that this is definitely set up for the enemy within. Yeah. So retroactively, when it's all out, people will be like, "Oh, right." So it's not none of it is has to be right. None of right, it right. is like oh, some people never run the enemy within. They you can run a pretty decent campaign using this starter all the in- adventure seeds and a bunch of the hooks from the thing, you might never run anything like the enemy within you can run a really solid game set. numerous strike That could last you for a year or two and say, okay, we're good. You, ran sure. Warhammer. Right, you could even, Dallas. you
1: could as a GM, make up your own reason for why the emperor came in. If oh, you absolutely. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it's beautiful.
0: I, in my experience as a GM, I will take, uh, it, it could be even a single page, little quick story hook. And that'll end up translating to a full, Four to six yep. hour adventure with my players. Yeah, totally. So the well, amount of the amount of content in just this adventure book is really quite staggering when you think about it. If you do well, it right you and your players get involved, you could uh, this could be a year's worth of content right here, depending oh, on yeah. how often you play. Yeah,
3: yeah. Especially like if, if you, you have ever, driven that, players. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I was about to say even if you have like that GM writer's adventure block, this will keep you busy for a long, right. long time.
2: Yeah. And especially you'll get players that are spinning out into like, oh, I like the character. I want to do this stuff. And they'll therefore and that's part of like the between stuff. That's when you're so into it that you're like, OK, now we got to pick up the core. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're right. getting serious about like we're picking up the core game. We're getting into all this stuff because that's when you get into the between adventure stuff and you're like have motivation. What you want to do. You know, I, I will tell you this is not too much of a spoiler. So I I will keep it very there is a path through several adventures and a lot of stuff. If you're playing Gunnar, who is a, the pregen, he's a troll slayer. And there is actually a way for Gunnar to cease to be a troll slayer if you follow I noticed that, through yep. the thread of everything. Because oh. troll slayers usually seek death because it's the only way they can reclaim their honor. But if they find out, say, they were set up and figure out who did the setting up, If they were to take appropriate revenge, that too could satisfy the oath of Grimnir. So there is a road if a GM and a player should choose to follow it, where Gunner could theoretically cease to be a troll slayer.
0: Yeah, I read that. And I, that whole section was really, really quite, I mean, it was, it was excellent. And that was, you know, what I was referring to earlier about how this, this preaching character isn't just, you know, a quickly thrown together backstory with stats on a page. There's a lot. It's there. really, move.
2: And it's, it, really mo- it's really moving. when It is. I first it is read, yeah. That was Ben wrote that. When I read it, I was—I'll tell you straight up—that I did get a couple of tears in my eyes. I was like, "That is so messed up." Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, when you it, read the whole thing, you're like, "Wow!" And that's—and obviously, but because that's kind of an optional back thing. If that never gets introduced, it's not so. Right. Sure, right, right. You know, between the GM and the player, and that they might never run that. It might never come to pass. It may not be true. It's all just. There's a lot of stuff in the book that's. You know, I, I like that section Andy has in there that you guys probably saw, where it's like, "Okay, our Uber's Reich is going to look like this <laughs> in a couple of years." Meaning, the Canon Uber's Reich following our path will look like this. Yours can I look like whatever you, <laughs> you <know? Right. laughs> whatever you want, you know, whatever you want, you could do, but ours is going to look like this.
1: Right? It's so good. We could talk forever on on some of this stuff, but I did want to mention a couple things The some of the hilariousness in the names, like I. Uh, What's the the hassle, The
0: hassle of Johann Hoffman.
1: Oh, yeah, I, <laughs>
0: this this is another one of those little uh, adventures or story hooks that really kind of opened my eyes. That there's so many things you can do with a role playing game, right? Like this, without spoiling it. This is a concept that I had never even considered introducing to my players. But now that I see it, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> include that in any in any system. Find a way to run a story that's like this,
2: right? yep um well I, I think you guys probably saw we did a lot of stuff the fat shark guys were great they were super mm-hmm. uh for those that don't know fat shark did the video game uh uh Ver- ongoing vermintide. video game for vermintide yeah right so we actually have references to the fat shark guys in fact i think we even have their logo in one of them yeah it's in the guide to ubers right if you look at yeah. the contents page there's a little thanks to fat shark and a little their little logo and we actually have a whole easter egg about them in it like <laughs> they're they're in it <laughs> some of the, the main guys from fat shark are actually in the in Uber's right
0: very cool
1: i didn't realize that second part like i knew the logo was part of the signage for um you know the rat catchers well, guild and all that but i didn't realize the actual guys were that's cool
2: yeah the the wildlands rat catchers that's the guys from fat shark that's that picture awesome. that's four of yeah, the, the main guys has... from fat shark
3: it that has a so red cool. in its mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all those dudes. They're, they're from
2: Bad Shark. Yeah. That's so awesome. that, yeah. Well, that's because they helped Andy a lot and they were a really great. The funny thing is when this all first got going, you'd think like, oh, they did Shark, they did Vermintide, would they be upset? Were they, oh my God, they're such big Uber Warhammer geeks and they're all tabletop players. Awesome. They were like, you know, these Swedish guys are like, oh, you're going to do
4: Warhammer! Yes, yes! <laughs> they
2: were so excited. Like, how can we so cool. help? You know, how can we help? So, when he said he's going to do this stuff, they were like, Yes! And they sent us concept art and all this really cool stuff.
3: Oh, that's so cool.
2: Yeah, it was really neat. <laughs> so, all
1: yeah, right. there's definitely
2: some references in there.
1: All right. So, I have to say, Old Blue Eyes is back is probably my favorite out of the 11 because um, I feel yeah. like the end in that very clearly underscores life in the Warhammer world. <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. What are your guys' favorites? Do you, have you had a chance to look through? I, well, I know UTS. You, what's your favorite?
2: uh Actually, uh, speaking of my final with the Fat Char guys, I really like Red Moon Burning. Mm. Just because if you've played a bunch of Vermintide, you have a real connection to the Red Moon Inn, and that actually is is cooked into Andy's having to move the Redwood in the Red Moon Inn, and where it is in Vermintide versus where it is in the starter set. And he wanted to like to explain why it's someplace else. <laughs> and that whole, and that whole adventure scene explains why it got moved. <laughs> that's awesome. So I, I like that one quite a bit.
0: My favorite. I love the hassle of Johann Hoffman. I think that, <laughs> that would be so much fun to, well, it's fun to say obviously, but fun to run. Yeah, exactly. But I think the riddle of silver is so ties in so well to a backstory. And, you know, we'd already kind of touched on the fact that like that's, like legitimately emotional following this character's yeah. story.
2: Right. That, yeah, it's really poignant.
0: Yeah, and, and having a character, especially if they, let's say that, you know, I've got a player who's played as Gunnar for, you know, a half dozen sessions, and then we end up doing that. Like that that moment of like realization mm-hmm. would be huge. Uh, yeah, so that that one probably is my favorite. Either of the two of those were the ones that really stood out to me.
3: Mine would be, I think, the wah <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the concept, you know, like they've been underground for so long you know they forgot the surface even exists just the concept <laughs> yep. is,
2: is great yep there's some really good stuff in there with all these different ones it introduces other stuff people really like to see too right like right. it's always uh, people are always talking about Ulrich and like well what's the wolf connection so you know there's a lot of stuff in there that like yeah we've actually thrown in a lot of stuff that you could use someplace else right so there's a lot of that kind of Useful it, stuff to put in other places. And
1: I'm I'm going to say this: if this is what we're getting for just Uber's Reich and for the Reichland, I am so excited for the rest of the world. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need I'm going to need probably 30 source books. Um, <laughs> but I think <laughs> Cubicle Seven is probably good with selling me 30 source books. So,
2: yeah, I I strongly suspect that it will be thematically linked province. This is just. So right now, this is not officially Cubicle 7 TS. This is TS and speculation that I can tell you guys. It seems a little much to ask our fans to like buy a source for every province. Because some of the provinces have different amounts of stuff going on in them. Mm-hmm. But I strongly suspect that the day will come when we have like thematically linked source for different provinces. Right?
1: Yeah, that would so, make sense. Uh, we always thought about like w- a source book that would be like the Northern Empire, and you know, oh like, yeah, for sure, somehow. Kislev in the
2: north. It makes sense to do like the north and Kislev, right? Or right. there's different right. things that would make <laughs> sense. I don't know if we went really crazy, we could do the north, and it would be the you know the north of the empire, but right. also Norska and the surrounding. Norska, you know, and Tol- Kislev, that's Ozomark, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah that's but, absolutely TS like throwing that out, or even. Marienburg, if you're doing the north it's like but that's just me throwing out like different yeah we'd probably do a wider swath than just try to do too focused right, right, you, right. you want to do a bigger swath so that people had to play with our big thing that you've seen is everything we do we want there to be adventure hooks that's really going to be an ongoing thing like we're describing something There's got to be something gameable there if it isn't we won't be describing it
0: right what's the, I mean, this is a game we're playing, right? What's the point in having it in there? Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like details should at least have, you know, yeah, it's great to have all these details and immersion, but ultimately people only remember so many things, right. They come and go, but a hook that's useful. (laughs) That grounds it in like, okay, that place is cool, but it's even more cool now that I can use it for something. Right.
1: All right. So I will say real quick that there are just a couple of things. If you weren't aware detailed mutations there's some cool mutations which are like extra not in the core rule book that you could use in this adventure guide in the back along with like you know a breakdown of conditions and some traits you know critical wound tables which is like a simpler version than the full critical wounds but just some really cool stuff here that like gosh some of this these little things um are worth the price of admission by themselves so check that
0: out one thing that really stood out as i was reading through the adventure guide or the adventure book is how how rules light this system can be because there's not a huge amount of information that's, that's in there to like really get hunkered down. Obviously for a stutter site, you wouldn't want it to be that way, but uh, it kind of goes back to some stuff we've talked about before where you, you make the game as crunchy as you want it to be. Yeah. Which is, yeah, there's definitely a lot of
2: options. Yeah.
0: So, uh, in addition to the adventure book, we've also got the guide, a guide to Uber's Reich that's in there, which is about the same size. It's what, like sixty, sixty-four pages, and this that's includes correct. a very detailed breakdown of the history of Uber's Reich, the timeline of events that have happened that are uh, important to Uber's Reich, as well as a, like I said, a very detailed breakdown of all of the different areas within it. And what's so great about this is that each area has several bullet points that are little story hooks,
1: which are now linked to the maps too. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: you know, seeing that and being able to pull this map out, put it on the table, and tell them like, okay, well, where do you guys want to go? That's one of the things that I love is that if you know you don't have a a, like a concrete idea of how you want to run an adventure as a GM, put the map out there and say, where do you guys want to go next? You know, at the end of your session. So where do you guys want to go next? Wherever they pick, then you can develop a storyline based on that area. And this book gives you so much information to make that an interesting uh, adventure.
1: And, and we've talked about this. We've hinted at this and talked about this several times. But like every single section has like, uh, I think, two, one or two, two story hooks. Yeah,
0: two little bullet points <laughs> that are. Yeah. yeah. Two
3: of
1: them. Yeah, our,
2: our, uh, our internal was two at least.
1: It's in there so good. And and again, more wit in here. Like I'm I'm I think my favorite heading in the whole book here is The Emperor Strikes Back. A classic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Another thing that, that I loved again once getting past the uh like the history that's in there, once you get to the visitor's guide, right on that very first page it talks about the different festivals that takes place in Uber's And that's one of those things that a lot of people I think can get in the mindset of like, okay, well, this is a Role playing game. There's going to be combat. We're just going to go, we're going to fight trolls, we're going to fight goblins, we're going to do this and that. But there's so many interesting things that happen inside of this world and this universe that players would never think about. If they happen to be strolling through, you know, a certain location, they walk into town and turns out they're having a huge onion festival there, and how interesting that would be for players to somehow interact with that. And, you know, this is just a simple little table that's at, you know, the bottom of a page, but that right there is enough. Uh, of a story hook for me to write a whole adventure around.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a, there's, it's interesting the different history of the area. One of the big ones that I've had people talk about quite a bit are the ones I've talked about is of course, one of the great villains in all of Warhammer, Const Drakenfels. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I, I love the call out with in the, in the history. And it's like, Hey, everybody knows about Drachenfels. You know He's literally hurled at wayward children as a threat. You know, <laughs> you know, you'll give you to dragon fells, you know? So it really is that thing like, okay, dragon is gone. If you want him to be, <laughs> right. Know, sure. definitely-
1: <laughs> and, it, and it talks about there's, there's even story hooks specifically in this guide that can deal with that situation. Oh uh, yeah. Like, and, uh, and a cult, right? There's a cult. Oh yeah. I, I'm jumping ahead on the cults, but yes, I'm so excited about the yeah. cults. One of the things I wanted to mention too is each, section. And we're, we're, we're not going to go through like every tiny like section here. Um, just (laughs) just know that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just, they're so evocative. And so here's the thing so far, what I've seen come out of fourth edition, like this just sments it for me. There is passion and love in these writings. Like you're not just giving me a wizard's tower. There's a wizard tower. And this is interesting. You give me a wizard's tower that nobody can figure out where the door is. You know, the, it's little things like that that makes each of these locations interesting and and wonderful. I also love and, it
0: worth worth investigating. Yes, right? it's not it, it's no location here is like a throwaway. Okay, that's that's like the barn, right? Right, those are the stables. Yeah, no, there's something odd about that location, and it's worth investigating. And who knows what the heck you're gonna find when you go there,
3: right? And definitely, you know, being a location book, uh, you would. You know, most location books are boring, you know, just facts and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But this book's a fun read. It really is. You know, just everything, the detail, um, what the owner's wants are, what they're doing, uh, the story hooks, just wonderful.
2: Thanks, Steve. That's actually, that's a big one the, uh, for me for many years is if you guys know, like in the 70s and parts of the 80s, there were there were rpg manuals that were dry as dust sure you'd yeah. read them and they'd read like a really boring technical manual <laughs> you know? you'd read them and they just like strip all the passion and anything out of it you read just like oh my gosh i'm falling asleep reading this and mm-hmm. for a long time i i'm big on stuff is meant to be used at the table right but i acknowledge that there are people more and more that will pick up some stuff just to read it like they love this stuff and you know what, we don't value the customer less just because their intention is to pick it up and read it and not actually to play it or to maybe take some inspiration for a completely different game just because they enjoy reading. It's totally cool. But correspondingly, I think it should be fun to read. <laughs> for that very reason, it should be fun to read. So not just a boring recitation, it should actually have meat to it.
1: Right, and that's, and that's one of the reasons, Like, so when Cubicle 7 um, released the PDFs of some of the first edition stuff, right? like I would go back and I picked up that Marienberg book and stuff just for the location information. Right. Like it's good stuff, but like being able to get a location information and then really, because I can tell you just like Steve was saying, when I was reading through this book, as I read new and new sections, it was, I don't want to say it's like a novel, but it's like a situation where I read about this thing and I'm like making a connection to something I read before my mind just exploding with the possibilities and maybe it's because I'm reading it as a GM, right? Because I, I generally look at this stuff from the point of view as a GM. But it's so well done. And, and it's all interconnected, too. Like like you said, I mean, we knew there's multiple writers going in. It's obvious that everybody was working together to make sure this was a cohesive whole. And it's,
2: it's very well done. Thanks. I, uh, let's see. I don't think this is a spoiler. But I will tell you, there are other adventures not unlike... Uh, a couple of the ones you guys have already seen that we put up for free uh, in in the works, like um, If Looks Could Kill, which is the new Ubers Reich Adventure one uh, yeah, we put yeah. up for free. Uh, there is one that I already finished that I got to set and something I thought was really cool. It uh, I really liked the Bretonian Chapel and the old guy yeah. that guards it.
3: Yes. And, yeah. and
2: I will tell you guys that I read an adventure that uses that very prominently. It's a, a awesome. big part of an adventure that will eventually. We'll see what happens. I know Andy's got plans in the year to come here, but I will tell you that is already in the can. Uh, right? I finished it some time ago.
1: So. That's that's exciting because that was one of my favorite locations. I love the <laughs> the underlying tension that that is described throughout this about bretonia
2: right? Like, yeah,
3: right, like, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Things have been good for a while, but you never know, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> that's that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Do for a, a little chaos. Well, the uh, thing that I always come back to over and over, right, and it really is: humans have a short memory in the overall thing, right? When they remember stuff, they're like, "Oh, that happened a long time ago. There's no threat chaos anymore." Magnus the P.S. took care of chaos. You know, the chaos was dealt with two hundred years ago. You know, and the dwarves, some of which were literally alive, right? <laughs> like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> You're like yeah dealt with right <laughs> yeah you know, you know it's a living i guess what i'm saying is history is very much alive in the old world right there are characters and elves with long memories you talk about the magisters that's such a classic one you talk about the magisters of the order right and the big things about set up during the war and of course set up by the legendary Teclas. Blah blah blah. Yeah, that would be Techless. He's very much alive in Altawan right now. You yeah. Know? <laughs>
1: yeah, Who fought? Who yeah. fought in some of the first demon incursions into the yeah, old exactly. world? Like
2: people don't realize that
1: that's a thing,
2: <laughs> right? It, it is like this humans that have the you know this image of it, it being this ancient thing. Like Reich is neat because like the the bridge, the legendary bridge of Reich was literally directly commissioned by Magnus Pius. Right. Magnus right. directed them to make that bridge because he's as he was sending up his part of the empire again and going, oh, we need trade roads to this area. And I don't want people to pay too much because I know what folks are like. They'll gouge the common people. So that was literally part of why he commissioned a bridge to be over the twofold, because he's like, oh, OK, we need a, a solid bridge, which is why now you know, this bridge is still like one of the core things that folks when they think of Uber's right. You know, if, if, if I was to tell you guys City of Los Angeles, you, of course, think Hollywood. Right, like there's these distinct, literally people in the empire, you know, Reichland and beyond. If you were to say Uber's Reich, the first thing that comes to them is the Great Bridge, and Uber's Reich. It's just like the first thing they think, Uber and the bridge, followed by maybe Black Rock Castle and you know Trade Road and all that. But that's literally the first thing, that they think is that bridge. So, and lo and behold, the dude that helped design that bridge, set the foundations. Yeah, he's alive. You know? yeah, I was
3: about to say, he's right. still there. He's still <laughs> yeah. there.
2: Yeah, he's still there. So.
1: This guide is also more than just location of Uber's right too. There's a bunch of new stuff, and in the article Cubicle Seven puts out, they talk about the different. You know, hey, there's a bunch of new stuff, but that includes things like, hey, there's a new disease. There's potions, new potions in there, which I have to say, my favorite is the marvelous medicinal mixture.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great.
1: Uh, it's very warhammer <laughs> it, it really is like here's everything it does nothing is positive but everybody think it is because it's it tastes so bad and it makes them feel so bad it must be doing something well so it's one of their best sellers
2: <laughs> I, love yep. it. I love it <laughs> well that's such a, a thing of like an implicit hook right say like it would come up and maybe say one in a dozen campaigns but say somebody's playing a position. Right. Somebody you've got a character that's like a student becoming a doctor and they're like, so he has this potion that's uh, supposed to be really good for helping people. So you can see like a player legit going like, well, I buy a bunch of that one and start <laughs> studying it to try to find out what it does. You know, <laughs> I just I picture somebody spending a couple of endeavors, like slowly working on figuring out exactly what this does. And then literally after enough like extended successes, I'm like, OK, today's the day. All of your research has paid off. You have figured out what the marvelous medicinal mixture does. Uh, it makes people sick. <laughs> <laughs> You're an evil GM. Yeah. I love it. Well, that's it. the thing is if I do that to people, right, if they put in the effort to do it, I would absolutely do that. But then the hook at the back end that would be, but in all this time that you spent figuring that out, you actually know how to make one that actually will do. Right. Sure. better.
0: What ingredients you know, It will be. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Exactly. It won't be perfect, but you spent so much time in this endeavor. I'm now going to have the opportunity. It won't be cheap. The materials will be hard to come by when you'll you'll have to go on an adventure to get them, and then maybe you can only make a batch of like, you know, six to ten or whatever. But then yours will actually work. Right. <laughs> it will give you a huge boost against disease. You know, for a couple of hours after you take it, and you find out some knights. You know, that's the kind of hook where I go like, you find out some of knight, these knights and more. You know, they think they're going to fight the soldiers of the plague god that, that took it for you know a bunch of this stuff if you can get your hands on it you know and then you just you know and then the adventures just start spinning out the challions want to know where you got it they really want you to give them some you know just like you can see the adventures the physicians and the apothecaries start coming after you to find out why you have this stuff and how what you know etc and so forth
0: <laughs> all of that from just yeah. a single potion that's right so yep. yeah right the uh, options
1: are endless exactly. At the back kind of end of the section, it talks about like not just Ubers Reich, the, the city, but the province, the province, whole, right? and yeah. Yeah. Of the duchies
2: and, and, and yeah, the, the surrounding duchy.
1: This is another area that I, I actually expected this to be like a little more dry. Like it's interesting stuff. Like, and as a GM, like I'm actually currently working on the province area of Zonstadt for my campaign. Mm-hmm. And this helped me a lot. But lo and behold, there's a bunch of story hooks in here, too. I, I love the monastery, like the Ulricans that aren't really Ulrichens. yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one.
0: well, we can throw back too to the uh just mention the fact that the there's a map that is specifically for the province and the duchies and and who's where, what house controls, what area, very yeah. reminiscent of like looking at a map of Westeros and Game of Thrones, like this is who controls this area, this is who controls this area. Really right wrong. well,
2: and that's a classic thing, right? Like some groups will gloss over what nobles control an area and not care, and certainly, and i'm not I'm honestly not trying to throw stones, but I know a lot of five year d and d games never get into that stuff, right like who owns this area, the king yes. right you right <laughs> like, or, or or we're on the frontier, you know it's like oh we're on the frontier, so it's dodgy. people control like their city and the surrounding area, so you just get these big kind of you know, the high level, the like, because how will that advance us looting the light, the nearest dungeon, right? And the funny thing is, I would argue, actually, it'd be really cool. Because if you go into those details, it's fascinating, right? Actually, you owe a tithe to the duke that is in control of the region where that dungeon is. And you don't just get to haul away all that money. Technically, you owe 20% to the duke.
1: Yeah, like this is Warhammer. You get 20%. The duke
3: takes <laughs> Exactly. He gets right? first <laughs> exactly. choice.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the duke gets first choice of anything that comes out and then, you know, he thanks you, you for uh,
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: 20%. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's very hey, much the I
3: just to ask here, not to go too far off, but yeah. uh do you guys have like a master map of who rules what and who's under whose control and how do you keep track of all the duchies and who's beneath them and barons. and
2: Yes, we do. It lives in Andrew Law's head.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> uh, I want to go to there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know,
2: like, I, I will tell you, what Andy sets to do, and this is, I've known Andy for many years here, and it's not just Warhammer, though it is true that we joke, cut Andy and he bleeds Warhammer is common. You know, um, When Andy goes to do research for anything in Warhammer, he looks up every single source referring to the area that he can find ever. First edition, second edition, third edition, all black library fiction, any third-party stuff that's well-regarded, anything that he can find. Well, so, and he literally gathers every bit of information he can about a given area before he launches into his
1: And And I want to, I will say as, as a huge fan, so this is something Graham Davis talked about at Gen Con uh, last year too, was about like connecting like the, the sometime disparate history of Warhammer and making it work. And this book and the maps that he's been doing and stuff that I can see that too. And I appreciate that as a fan of Warhammer, because like you just created something that didn't invalidate something that I might love. You made it make sense with, you know, everything else. So I actually, I really appreciate that additional research and everything that, that you guys do.
2: Yeah, well, there's certainly real, like, one of the really neat things, now that the maps are out, I strongly suggest taking a moment to kind of blow up the map and looking at the details, because sure, you'll see little, you know, villages and stuff, and, but if you look, you'll see things like, I haven't seen that mentioned before, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like little hooks and things in there, you're like, the Ravenstone's Blessed Morton, huh, <laughs> you, you'll just see things when you start looking at the little, you know, entries and stuff that you may not have known about.
1: Yeah. And that's and that's awesome. So we get we get explanations of the past, we get what we expect, and we get a bunch of new stuff. And we get stuff that's the blank map, right? The edge of the yep. that GMs, I as a GM, like sometimes I just want to make my own stuff, right? But I want to yeah, do it totally. in the Warhammer world. So you put that point on a map and now hey, I now can decide what's what's going to be there. And there's nothing saying as a GM you can't just rewrite whatever you want, right? That's that's part oh, of the fun. Totally. But well, Sometimes people it, care about that canon and like, I want to make my own piece of this Warhammer world to make it fit.
2: Well, and here's a funny bit of like absolute real world history meets this. This is just a riot. And I've told Andy this before and he laughs at me. He's like, I know you're right, but you know, this is Warhammer. If you look at all these areas of the forest, see these different, you can see how everything's named, right? Big city, village, village, all these things. In this time, approximately in our world, Right, so Renaissance mm-hmm. era, this sure. is like late Renaissance is about where the old world is they've got they're interesting because they're late Renaissance, but they have one or two cultures that were more advanced than that. The dwarves arguably were well into their industrial age and were pulled back by calamities right right and right. the and the elves uh with their advanced magics were quite a bit further, and then because of their civil war and whatnot, they've never really been able to get back to where they were and their various concerns so but Basically, late renaissance is a fair cop for where the old world is, right? Late renaissance, early bits of stuff. Okay, this forest, the names of folks that were enforced, like the great black forest of Germany, you know what the name of all these villages and stuff would have been? The village, every one of them. <laughs> none of them had names in our world, none of them. If you as a peasant were levered into an army, your chance of ever seeing your home village again were one in a thousand. Sure,
1: yeah. You yeah.
2: You would mm-hmm. never be able to return home. Wow. And so yeah, and so it's, it's, it's a modern
1: that. concept that we're applying, you know. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
2: That is definitely an anachronism that is a warhammerism that, oh, they all have names and people have these accurate maps and an idea of where this stuff is. That is absolutely modern gaming flash, our world making it easier for the brains of people that would play Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay because that did not exist. These would have just been little villages with no names.
3: And uh, right. I don't remember hearing that before, and it was just like they go by landmarks or like the yeah. nearest town. Like, yep. yeah, our town exactly. had a big hut in the middle, uh, this big tree on the corner of the field.
2: Yeah, exactly. Other oh, great. There's only you five know, like cows. that. You
3: know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like,
2: <laughs> you know, there's, like, there's stories, like real stories from our world about uh, some collected by the church of like guys that were bound and determined to get back to the village of their birth, like after the, the crusade in one case this one guy stick and he literally traveled for like five years. It ended up like in the mercenary company and did all these things. And he actually did find his way home, but it was like the huge long thing. And in the end it was chance. He met a peddler that he recognized and recognized uh, him wow. it was a peddler that worked a route that was where his village was. And he was like, you know, Oh my God, yawn. you know and he, you know, it's me. You know, you knew me when I was a kid. It's like, Oh my gosh. And he traveled with the peddler on his route, to get back to his home. Because the peddler had his route memorized, right? So he'd always did the same, you know, this, this, this. And it's not like he could take him straight there. He had to follow his route because the dude had it memorized, but not like, I can take you straight there. It's like, no, we have to follow the way I know to get there. (laughs) (laughs) I can't take you straight there. I'd get lost. But if we followed the route all around, we'll we'll get there eventually. So the guy traveled with the peddler for a couple of months, and then he finally got home. Literally five plus years after he left for the war. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's and that's remarkable. like, and it stands out as like a single account that we actually have. And they're just like, most of them never came back. Yeah. You know, if they didn't get killed at war, they just met a local girl or guy or whatever and settled down elsewhere. You know, They just never came back. Amazing.
0: Yeah, it is. That's really, that's really fascinating.
2: Yeah. And it's just so many things that when we, I think about that stuff to, would this be useful in adventure? And obviously that one, but just that concept of like the ignorance of things or where places might be is worth. Considering sometimes, especially with like the illiterate peasantry, it's right. really worth considering. Like they don't know any of this stuff. So while we're joking and it's funny Warhammer, it's true when we tell you that they're like, right? You know these guys, are the peasants right. that are like, yeah, the colleges of magic that don't exist. No, that's all BS. Right? We're not collections of wizards. That's all BS. Well, have you ever been to altdorf Of course not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> why heard would about I go? It <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why would I go more than five miles from my home? You yeah. know.
1: My brother's brother's cousin's brother talked to a peasant yeah, it, once that talked to somebody yeah, that talked to somebody heard that stories. said Aldorf existed.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, as Reichlanders, you're more likely, and that's an interesting thing, like getting to the system itself with river folk, right? right? The river folk are famously gregarious. And if you travel the Reich a lot, you have been to those places. Right. So you know the Reich from Stimmigen to Ireswald, up the if you've gone the Tufel and the Reich, you actually know a quite of the Butte, and and that's why the river folks seem pretty worldly to peasants and some of the other folk. They're like, Wow, you traveled the river, you traveled the mighty Reich, you know? You you've seen all these places and to them that's like a really big deal. You've traveled so far because most of them never go very far from their home, from their villages or their town.
1: I did want to mention another part of uh you had mentioned earlier some stat blocks and stuff, right? Like some Skaven, like so there's a oh, gut, yeah. there's a gutter runner in here, um yeah. which is which is amazing, the rat swarm. But I have to say when I read Brant, I had I had to go look up the, the Doppelganger reference because I hadn't run into this before in, in all my time and it is absolutely terrifying. Yep. I, I can't, yes. I can't wait to see this in a game sometime.
2: Right. Well, and that's, a, that's, a, there's a classic that I'm glad you like that. Cause that's a classic one that people will read that and be like, Oh, did you guys make that up? That's one, that's old school one E stuff. Like yep. doppelgangers are in one E, you know, it's like, Oh, you made that up later on. Nope. <laughs> this implementation of Brant, we did, but yeah, sure. totally.
1: I went and looked it up and I forget what I read or whatever, but I just, there was some quote from a witch hunter that that he, they burned a doppelganger at the stake, and that's how you knew you don't know until they die. And he's like, I realized I was worried, and I was worried because I was doubting whether I was right or not. And it's like after that I decided I would never worry about that ever again. And it's like, oh man. That was that told me everything I needed to know
3: about doppelgangers and witch hunters in one little quote. <laughs> exactly. Let's hey, say this. The concept of that in the game is terrifying for players. If you're actually having a storyline based off of that, right? It's like you never know who it is. Uh, yep. Dum dum dum. So, um, dark
1: cults, I think, is the last thing that we should mention. And uh, I think, as we talked about before, bog king.
0: Yeah, <laughs> bog king. Well, okay. the, cult, the whole cult section and the, the core rulebook is such a great section to begin with. The fact that we're getting more and you know expanding on those is, is really wonderful. And again, just like we've said 108,000 times, there's more story hooks. And every, for every single one of these cults, there's little, uh, little bullet points that will help you introduce them into a story or into a campaign or hopefully for your players, not.
2: <laughs> right. Well, And the funniest right. thing is, too, is when people that are kind of new here to Warhammer it's one of the best things and they go like all oh, these cults how are they all existing aren't they like running into each other and it's like yes yes they are <laughs> that <laughs> sounds then, like well, a great then, adventure yeah and then what happens then well, they try to kill each other <laughs> obviously well, what if they're cults of the same god yeah then they really try to kill one another <laughs> oh man. yeah it's just it's such a classic thing with Warhammer right like chaos gods <laughs> followers don't even agree on anything you know like so some of them coordinate sure every once in a while some groups go like okay your aims and ours do not conflict so we're good right but more often than not it's like protestants and catholics in the old days you know yeah. <laughs> you you worship our hideous god wrong <laughs> <laughs> so connected to the uh, the cults obviously you never want to give away too much but i will tell you that i flat out created one or two of these for various purposes But the Shifting Grasp is actually connected to my Mordheim gang from back in the day. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So I actually, way back in the day, had a whole uh, thing about Mordheim. So lo and behold, if you read the whole history of the cult, uh, you actually see where the cult comes from. And now you know, because I told you, (laughs) it names, you know, the ruins of Dread Mordheim. You gave the thumbs up to Mordheim.
1: That's, well, now that you've said that, I fully expect to hear that you've written uh, some of the section on Mordheim whenever that source book comes out for four well, years. Well,
2: you know, it's funny. I can talk about this because we never officially, so I, I will not get in trouble if I say this. I have long wanted to write a Mordheim slash Three Emperor era source book for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. And awesome. it would pretty much be a one shot. Because that's you know, even older than the, you know, the, you know, the setting that we already have. But it would basically be for those dedicated players that love that era and all the hooks and all the history of Warhammer that's talked about that era. Here's the source book of Mordheim after the strike of the comet and the various what the Empire looked like at that time. And I'd love to write that. Because I've always had the hook. It's, you know, Mordheim, a hell of a place to make a living, a hell of a place to die. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and the whole thing about like, you know, adventuring in Mordheim and the surrounding areas and the politics of what happened with the destruction of Mordheim. And then talking a bit more about what the three emperor era was like and how even the the modern old worlders have a very different conception because back then you couldn't even travel freely because you've got, you know, different empires, quote unquote, that you're traveling between. So, you had all kinds of different complications for adventuring, then your, your lives would have been very different as you travel in different places to, like, you know, declare yourself. Who do you follow? You're like, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> suddenly that heraldry role means something. <laughs> you better identify what those gun shields means or we're in deep trouble.
3: You know, <laughs> what side am I on? Well, who's winning right now? Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly.
2: <laughs> you know, who's the latest winner? What you know what have you rebelled
3: against? I don't know, what
2: have you got you know? <laughs> exactly <laughs> it sounds like an alt riot right there, yeah, yeah, exactly like what do you do with coins in that era? Scrape their faces off immediately, right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all my coin just looks like generic gold or generic silver or generic you know immediately deface it, so you can't tell where it came from
1: man, um all right, so so we've talked about. The adventure book. We've talked about all the components. We've talked about the guide to Uber's Reich. And we've talked throughout that constantly about all the different story hooks and how many there are, how awesome they are. Uh, I think I'd like to go around and just get one or two of everybody's like, what would you say your favorite story hook is? Um, So Matt, you want to lead us off?
0: All right. I think one of my favorite story hooks, and this kind of just ties into the fact that not every adventure and not every story has to be this big, like, combat or mysterious thing or whatever. Uh, Satrioli's Sausage Shop. One of the, the hooks in there is talking about there's a special type of cream cheese or, like, creamy cheese that is widely sought after. Right. Uh, and inexplicably, the supplier for the sausage shop decided to go with one of uh, their closest rivals or one of the sausage shop's closest rivals. And that, you know, threw a big wrench in the works for this sausage shop. Just one of those things where, like, you know, not every adventure has to be about combat or anything wild and crazy. This one is just about uh, a disagreement between a local food establishment and their cheese supplier. And I just, I thought that was really, really interesting.
3: What about you, Steve? Well, um, I actually like, you know, because my character is, like, noble. So, you know, I might be at the Emperor's Rest Hostel. Mm-hmm. And I liked actually both of them that were in there. Um, Han has a rodent problem, but the holes are a little bit bigger than normal. <laughs> you could go off a huge adventure just, you know, kind of go on probe and that. Um, and I also like kind of, you know, if you're hanging around there and you recognize an old friend, but he's pretending to be someone else. So I like the recognizing uh, Mikhail Ziegle. You know, it was like, why is he <laughs> here? Like, are you planning on robbing someone? <laughs> Can we help? <laughs> or what's yep. your plans? So I thought that'd be cool, like a uh, play, because, you know, his eyes would get wide, like, oh, crap. They know me. They're coming. They're coming to talk to me. But also still pretending pretend, to be a noble when he's not. So I thought those were cool.
1: My, my favorite, probably my number one favorite um, is the Grey Lady. There's a there's a section that talks about the gray lady and how in the past she appears and tells you some horrifying prediction of how the world ends. Uh, to me, like that's that's not an adventure hook. That's a full-on campaign hook right there. Um yep. I love that one. And and I, and I hate to stay within the exact same thing, but the one right next to it is awesome too. Hey, what do you do when you find your you put your players like Oh, you found a giant baby! <laughs>
3: I don't even <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what like, I would do as a player. Right, I'd have yeah. to think for a while. Like uh...
2: <laughs> that is a really good. Uh, so I guess it's my turn. It is your turn,
1: TS. You're up next. What what are your favorite ones?
2: Well, obviously, I had a. It would be unfair for me to name off ones I had a direct hand in. <laughs> oh, not but, at all. Yeah. Well, I, I do like, obviously, uh, some of the stuff that I did with the cults is pretty fun. The shifting grasp, obviously. But um, actually, two of my favorite ones that I did not do that I think are amazing. And the funny thing is, in the book, they ended up being pretty close to each other, but I thought they were really cool. So there's St. Bastian's Hospital, mm. and the dude that runs the hospital has one hell of a secret and how it would play out with characters. Because player characters tend to keep their secrets close to the chest. And somebody that just knows your deepest, darkest secrets, that he absolutely should have no way of knowing. And yet he does. And when you go to confront him, he just totally blackmails you. You're like, ah! <laughs> you know, that is awesome. That whole thing is really, really good. So there's... A really nasty hook. And I'm obviously being very careful because that was very spoilery, if you know what's going on. Yeah. And then uh, not too far from that, my favorite one of my favorite is the Om and Nom, the sisters' bakery. Oh, yeah. The the halfway twins, Om and Nom. (laughs) Om and Nom, tumbleberry. (laughs) It just makes me laugh. Like the whole concept the hooks are great, but just like the two sisters finishing each other's sentences and the fact that their names are Om and Nom. This is this is Halflades, right? Their names are literally like Amalina and Nomdillion, you know. Right. But their nicknames are Am right. and Nom, so it's just hilarious.
1: <laughs> so good. Uh, so I, I guess what I, what I want to say is I just want to go through and and I I want to say my overall review of this is I I mean we went through the core rulebook and we love it. We love what Cubicle Seven's done, but this starter set like the one thing that I had a concern with was because I didn't pay attention that it was on the character portfolio. Sure. (laughs) So like, I don't have, I, I, this is great. I really can't point to anything that I would make better. Give me more stuff that you're already losing money on the Uh, starter side, I guess. I I mean, the
0: 70 plus uh, story hooks weren't enough for you. Lance, is that what you're saying?
2: Well, it's it's certainly true that it's a starter set. So it's a fair cop to somebody to go, well, wait a minute, you didn't describe, you have corruption, but you don't describe it. You have mutations, you have this other stuff, that, but you don't describe them. But at a certain point you go, yeah, this is the starter set. There has to be, <laughs> you have to choose a point when you're like, yeah, if you really are that into it, you need to go and buy the core.
0: Right, exactly.
2: <laughs> you're getting that into the game, you should have the
0: full core.
1: Right, and I, I don't know about, Steve, Matt, where you guys are on with it, but I'm assuming you're pretty close to me.: I- Oh,
0: 100 uh, percent. you know, without obviously seeing the, the final production of it, uh, it's kind of hard to say exactly, you know, give it a grade, but from what I've seen oh, so yeah. far, this is, this is exactly, and I mean exactly what I want in a starter set. There's enough here you know, luckily, we already own core rule books, but there's enough here for months, if not years, of, of campaigning and adventuring. And that is, I've, I've used a lot of other starter sets in the past and this one definitely stands out. I love how the, you know, you make in the rounds, you all start out the same, but then from there, you've got all these different paths that you can go. Uh, and the way that the storylines work, the way that the characters, you know, kind of interact with each other and, and their, their storylines are going to cross paths, cross paths. Uh, I think it's excellent. I, I can't wait to. Really, you know, get this played with uh, several groups and kind of get their feedback on it, too. Uh,
3: from my point of view, T.S., um, it takes a lot to impress me with products and things like that. Uh, everything you guys have done with Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition is is more than impressive. I mean, I'll just stick with praising the starter set, but um, the details, the artwork, it, it's... It's more than I've seen in any other role playing game that I've ever played. I mean, it's truly impressive. And, and it's not just the details, you can tell the love, uh, the history. You guys have, have used the gaming before. You guys have, are well in depth, depth with it. It's just really fantastic. It was fun reading it. It's just, there's nothing I can say wrong with it. Yeah. It's just it, wonderful. Before, thanks, guys. Well,
0: before we started recording tonight, I looked at Lance and I said, this is, this is the best core rule book that I've held and I've, I've, I'm not as seasoned a role player or a GM as a lot of other you know people may be, but I, everything about it's great. The graphic design, the layout is superb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. And I, I promise we're not like, sitting here kissing your hand if, yeah. the, if the book was trash yeah. i'd tell you it's trash yeah. right. but it, well, it's well not.
2: i'm laughing because you could tell like uh you could always tell any old designer because andy and i the first thing we tell you is, that's so kind guys yeah we could used a couple more months to do another reorganization of some of where the rules appear <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's right. a just classic thing with game designers is never it's never perfect it's just finished yeah. right <laughs> you yeah, right, just right. hit a point like okay we're gonna pull the trigger and send this out And it's certainly true in the world of video games, but they get to update, right? They get to push in there that we can't, once it's in print, we can't readily redo it. That's a far slower process. So it really is, you hope for the best and you put as much as you can into it. And certainly, I I really appreciate what you guys said. Certainly, for Andy, it's just a a massive thing. It's a really, it's been a strange thing for me to, usually you don't think you're going to do the addition of a game that becomes like, a high mark standard. A lot of people really love the second edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. So it's really been unusual set of circumstances for me to be in the company that that did the fourth edition. So it's not often that you get to go back to and go, oh, well, what would I do differently? (laughs) Like, what could I update or try different or how much more do we push it? And it's really the case for Andy and I both. For Dom, it's because he loves Warhammer. It was one of the reasons why he became a gamer and founded a game company. You know? For right. me, it's just right. a very direct, like, wow, this is one of the big ones that I love forever. That, you know, I played my miniatures games has definitely sucked me into. At one point, you guys would say, well, what started you? Like, what did you say? It was like, I was 15 when Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay came out, you know? In 86, when it came out, I put a lot of money aside so I could buy The Lost and the Damned and Slaves to Darkness, the two uh, Chaos books. Because Ian Livingston's art was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) I just desperately wanted those books. And it was a lot of money, but I put aside the money to get them both. I just like I love that stuff. So yeah, I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. And I really hope that in this year to come, in 2019, uh, we really did want the starter set to be everything you guys said and then some. Because we really want to get a greater base of folks going like, we're in a great time now with role-playing games. Like D&D has become accepted widely. With right, Twitch yes. and all the streams, it's become a really big thing. And we are now hitting a point, and I'm hearing this from everybody, our internal polling, guys we speak to, retailers. Everybody's like, cool with 5e. I think it's great, but now they're hitting that like, okay, 5e's good. What else is out there? So we really think that this is going to be a fantastic year to be like, Well, you've done 5e. How would you like to play something a little darker? Right. (laughs) right. How would you like to get a little muddier? And uh, a lot of people are like, heck yes, bring that on. And that's going to be really good for Warhammer.
0: Yeah. That's certainly the hope. How do you feel about player death?
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, player death's a little extreme. Player death's a little extreme for a game. How about character death? Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Hey,
0: never say never. This is the old world.
3: I, I will say just, that uh, the quality of everything that you guys do that I've seen so far is just top notch, man. I, it's just the, quali- the quality is there. And, you know, even if things took longer to make, the quality that you guys pushed out is, is beyond what I've seen with other books yeah. and things yeah, like I, that. Just, so we're
1: not saying this just because you're on the show, T.S. I, I will say oh, yeah. we had an exit plan ready if fourth edition sucked. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding for for our podcast yeah. we had an exit plan yeah, totally. and and we didn't need it because yeah we awesome. it.
2: <laughs> yeah i'm glad you guys didn't need the pull the ripcord either <laughs> like oh 40 yeah we were excited but now we're not bye <laughs> yep. and,
3: yeah, exactly. and even at the gen con um purchased a couple other role-playing books and uh <laughs> it's just very stale yeah um yeah, and I've fourth edition you know, but... stood
0: out in a in a good way for sure. Yeah.
2: Yes, well, yes. it's such a thing too that like the the ones that are bursting with creativity, right? There's games out now that I think are so great, and I, I just like I'll tell you, like John Harper's Blades in the Dark is an amazing game, right? And it's got some dark DNA that's really useful for this stuff. Uh, my old friend, who very much has Warhammer blood in him, uh, Rob Schwab, who's the line developer for Second Edition. You guys, Mike, he does the amazing Shadows of the Demon Lord. And uh, Shadows of the Demon Lord is an amazing RPG. It's really good. It's, believe it or not, darker than Warhammer. If <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> you can believe that, it is thing. darker yeah. than Warhammer. And uh, But Rob, like Andy and I have worked for Rob. Like freelance, before we were w- working at Wolfrup, I did some stuff for Shadow of the Demon Lord. There's a bunch of guys in the Ratcatchers Guild that have picked up Shadow of the Demon Lord for like the messed up rituals and spells and stuff. Because they're like, oh, these will be great for chaos, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... There are other things that I think are really well done, but Warhammer kind of gets to stand on the shoulders of giants, right? We have all these years of these great mm-hmm. artists and uh, to draw on, and so even when we, we have these great new artists that are part of the Bill Seven that like have all this inspiration from past eras, and they just get to they're just knocking it out of the park. So I, I think the art and the presentation and all that has gone really well. And certainly, like Cubicle 7, we have a reputation to uphold on a lot of this stuff. It's one of the reasons why I get to hear people rant at me daily about when's Moria coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of people know our standards, so they're very much looking for the set for Moria for the One Ring and Adventures in Middle-Earth. We're like, we'll get there, and it'll be as awesome as, uh, now fill in, the Wolfrop Starter Kit set. <laughs> <All right. laughs> there we go, yeah, yeah man. It'll be at <laughs> the same standard, you know, like, as we do each thing. You know, you get that reputation that's both... Uh, uh, you know, a bane and a curse, right? <laughs> you just can't mail it in when you have a reputation for knocking it out of the park.
1: Right. For sure. Yeah. We, we expect, we expect this quality from
2: now on TS. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we expect you to constantly do this at least. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Set the bar pretty high for yourselves. I, I think yeah, there's exactly. something really great about the fact that, you know, you and Andy and Graham and uh, so many other people who've been involved with Warhammer for so long are still the people who are putting this together. <laughs> Right. it's not like there was some big renaissance where there, you know, all new writers came in, all new, you know, you guys a clearly live and breathe and bleed and just exude And that's where Warhammer. I read the love. Yeah.
2: yeah. It's certainly true that a number of the guys like either worked on in some cases, first edition or second edition, or were fan writers that had done stuff very well regarded second and third. Like a number of our guys are, if people are very sharp when they're looking at the credits, they will like, I recognize that name. <laughs> like, they're guys that go way back with Warhammer stuff. So, yeah, there's certainly a lot of like personal passion meets professional, you know, folks that have worked on RPGs for a long time. So, it, so far, it seems to be working pretty well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as long as we can get the oh, starter set out here.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. Awesome. Um, I think that's a wrap. Uh, thank you, TS, for helping us review this amazing product you helped create and for joining us uh to nerd out about the warhammer in general Mm -hmm. yep
0: (laughs) cool before we go you have throughout this entire episode you've given fun anecdotes about different stories that have came up in the past and things that have happened uh while playing what can you give us one more that maybe is one of your favorite memories of uh in-game playing or gming in uh in the warhammer world
2: I will tell you my second favorite because the first isn't fit for a podcast or print. Oh, so,
0: <laughs> so,
2: so the second favorite is I had this character in uh first edition. That was a coward. It was a cowardly halfling and it was almost stereotypically cowardly. And I told the other players that this character is just like never going to step up. Right. But along the way, the rat catcher got killed. And so maintenance of the, small but vicious dog fell to my character and for whatever reason i, I kind of made rolls over time and i decided that for all of his fear the halfling fell in love with small but vicious dog mm-hmm. right like against the world he was going to defend this dog and you guys if you recall first Ed stuff everybody was always trying to become assassins because they could get all the attacks and there was all mm-hmm. these paths that people would follow And we had players that were kind of doing that other than me. So we had a very dangerous group. So correspondingly, the poor GM was having to throw more and more dangerous stuff at the other characters to challenge them. Right? Mm -hmm. In what was the climactic battle of the campaign, we were flat out fighting exceedingly dangerous chaos warriors. And uh, it was bad news. Well, this is a campaign that went over several years. It was an insanely dangerous fight. And the uh, GM had said... Everything's off the table. Everybody's out of fate points at that point. Like anybody that dies here is dead. It's the end of the campaign, wow. and they're and they're coming in and they're just like laying a waste. And normally, you know, my halfling's shooting his short bow from the back and whatnot. And just because the GM's roll and none of the players, one of the chaos knights kicked the dog off a cliff. Oh, jeez, and. <laughs> And we're 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 fighting near the sea, actually in the uh, along the wasteland. And my halfling charged this chaos warrior that should have been able to just get to him, like absolutely destroy him. And I called shot and one wounded me junk. Nice, jeez. Ooh, and I nice. literally I crit him in the junk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> and they were like, "This is like everybody's used to my character being afraid, right?" And I was just like, "Ah!" You know, like charged in, you know, stabbed the chaos around the chaos like, right? And the halfleaf just dove off the cliff after the dog, right. And that's- literally, I saved the dog. Like, the dog is, like, scrambling. I have, the, like, the fate point left. He's like, can I spend the fate point for the dog to survive? And the GM looks at me, he's like, hell yes. Like, the dog is clinging to the cliff. And my halfling's like, you know, barely saves this dog. And literally, the rest of the and the, the characters that survived of six, three died. And the other two look at him, and they're like, over the dog? Hey, that's... <laughs> <Yeah>. that's- <laughs> All this oh, over sorry. the
0: dog? Yeah. <laughs> That's the power of love, man. Yeah, don't exactly. don't underestimate
2: that's, it. That's man, woman, awesome. or beast. That is, that is definitely one of my favorite Warhammer memories. That's Fighting great. to save the small but vicious dog. Diving <laughs> off a, a cliff. That's an awesome story. Yeah,
0: it really is. <laughs> that's so good.
1: Oh, man. Well, uh, well, Old Worlders, that's the end of our show tonight. I want to start by uh, from all of us here and the Old World Podcast. TS, thank you so much for joining us tonight to talk about the starter set. Uh, yep, you're most welcome. It, it's just been amazing. And thank you, Old Worlders, for joining us as we went over the uh, guide and adventures of Ubers Reich here. We hope you found this review helpful and we can't wait to hear about your own adventures in Ubers Reich. In our next episode, uh, we're going to be talking about how you can convert your characters from previous editions to Warhammer and bring them into fourth edition. So, Be on the lookout for that show. We actually have a guest, uh, Pete Latimer from Garblag Games. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, Pete is a game master for Flint and Steel. I can't wait for him to come on the show and be like, Flint and Steel, he he does it so well. Um, But uh, you definitely want to check that out. We're going to talk about how you can convert your characters from first, second, and third edition to fourth edition. And we're going to have a bunch of tools, tips, and uh, different things that you can uh, hopefully make that process easier for you. Because uh, we we definitely recommend that you give 4th edition a try, even if you're deep in a campaign and in one of those others, because you might like it. And if you like the other ones, that's cool. But if if you give the 4th edition bug like we have, uh, we want to try to give you some ideas on how to make that, that trip easier if you want to keep your characters. Yeah, so be sure to check us out for our next show.
3: Uh, so, intrepid listeners, keep in touch. Let us know your questions, feedback, and even show topic suggestions. They're always appreciated. Uh, You can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com, Twitter at oldworldpodcast, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash oldworldpodcast.
0: Also, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your feedback. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more Warhammer fans. In addition, we are happy to announce that we have just launched our Patreon page. You can find that at www.patreon.com slash old podcast. Take a look. If you want to help support us, we would definitely appreciate that. We've got some fun pledge levels that, uh, that we hope you find interesting. All right. Also TS, where can people find you? Do you have uh, social media or websites you'd like to plug?
2: I do. I, obviously, you can always find any of our stuff at you know cubicle seven games dot co dot uk. It's always the uk that throws people off. So a lot of our stuff, and then we have the cubicle seven Facebook. If you're looking for me specifically, I'm pretty easily findable. I'm on Twitter at just ts <laughs> So I'm not particularly hiding, but I don't talk about just the old world all the time. I'm, you know, and. On the political side, I'll warn anybody, I'm definitely on the left side of things. I'm a Californian, so <laughs> I try not to be too political, but yeah, in well, weird days these days. So. Right,
0: exactly. I was going to say that. <laughs> it's like the old world yeah. and our actual world. are. There's some yeah, exactly. horrifying yeah. crossover <laughs> taking place right now.
2: You can find Fighting me there. Chaos. And then you guys have probably heard, I know the, these guys in the Old World Podcast have mentioned before, but the Rat Catchers Guild on Discord is where you can find quite a few, uh, uh, including Andy Law and myself. And actually going forward, I'll just do the littlest plugs. You guys might know Imit Bern is the producer for the Age of Sigmar role-playing game. And they also, on the Ratcatchers Guild, have plugs to that. So while that's still kind of like the early stages, I am working on that one as well. So you will see, if you go to the, uh, the Ratcatchers Guild, you can find out all kinds of stuff about that too. Fortunately, so we barely talked about that because that's not the old world podcast that's the other place <laughs> that's the other place so
1: well, we've we've all committed the three of us that we're gonna we're gonna give it a chance when it comes out um because it's
2: it's cubicle seven so i right. expect and it's, it's it Warhammer, to be awesome right? yeah. so yeah it is a I, I, this much i can say and then we'll safely move on it is a very different experience <laughs> very different it works differently. It's a different setting, different themes, different ethos, different mechanics. So it is definitely a clear separation of the worlds, as, as happened in their backstory. So <laughs> you will definitely feel it's a different game.
1: Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, I guess this is the part where we sign off here. So this is Lance saying good night. And may the Grey Lady's predictions not include your character.
0: This is Matt. Hey, if you stumble upon the Bog King, make peace with your god and make it quickly.
3: This is Steve. I just want to say thank you again to TS for being on the show. Um, This fourth edition is in great hands. Cubicle 7. I appreciate your work. And saying goodnight, uh, don't forget to buy your lamp oil. You might need to light something on fire. Classic.
2: And this is TS saying, I wonder how much more corruption I can bear. (laughs) (laughs)
3: This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC.